Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Smashbox TV's podcast 458. Camilla, the disc golf guy, next to Johnny V. Are we coming back from, like, any sort of cliffhanger or... In the chat, I said, pretty soon we're going to reveal who the killer is after 458 oh. episodes. Yeah, and it's funny because I had to take a double take and think, was I here last week? You were not. And I wasn't. No. I was in an airport or in a plane. I was supposed to have Ricky on, and with like less than an hour to go, he ended up canceling out due to a pickleball event with the Jomez crew. Uh, and then I reached out to one or two other people, and I wasn't sure if they were going to come on or not, but it was so late that they ended up not. Otherwise... Maybe I would have brought on, had a chat with Hannah Macbeth, and actually, actually she was saying, I was going to think about reaching out to you. And I was like, oh, you should mm. have. No. It would have been fun. Well, nonetheless. Either way, I'm, she's not here. You're here. I'm here. That's what doesn't matter. But we're here. Welcome in, everyone. In just a few moments, we're going to have Adam Hammes. We're going to, of course, talk about the Portland Open that just took place this Never last heard weekend. Of it. A couple other bigger events, eight tiers and such, going on around the country. We'll recap and discuss a few of those and other news and happenings of things happening and going on in the sport of disc golf. We'll go from there. Sounds like a lot of fun to me. Yeah. Tuesday night with Johnny and Terry. As but more importantly, be. more importantly, we're going to hear from our MPO champion. In fact, he's all dialed up. He's ready to go. He's in Montana. He's the PDX Open champion, Adam Hammes. The very first Elite Series Plus champion. How are we doing, boys? Good. How about you? Good. I'm doing good. Anthony and I just got to uh, Montana last night, slept in a hotel, got track starting today, and now we're chilling in a parking lot. <laughs> Tour life, bro. Tour life, Just right? two dudes hanging out in a parking lot. Nothing weird about that. <laughs> Not at all. Uh, <laughs> Pretty normal on tour. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, now, I, I, I'm going to get personal for just 10 seconds here. Uh, you guys aren't just two dudes hanging out in a parking lot. Have I seen, have I seen lady friends, some significant others on tour with you guys? Is that, is that going to be a summertime thing? Is that a one weekend kind of thing? Well, uh, 
correct me if I'm wrong. I, I hope you didn't break up in the last 48 hours. Uh, what, <laughs> no. What's <Awkward>. going on? Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. I have my girlfriend, Frances. Uh, okay. We've been together since like uh, December. Okay. Um, yeah, I try to get her out when she's free, when she's not working. So she was just in for the Beaver State Fling and Cascade Challenge. Sadly, she went home right before the Portland Open and didn't ah. get to see that. Uh, but that's okay. Uh, her summer's coming up. She just uh, finished her last semester in college for this year, and um, yeah, she'll she'll be on the road a bit more. And then obviously, Anthony's girlfriend Grace, and it's, it's kind of the same deal. She can uh, whenever she's free, she flies out and meets us out on the tour. Awesome. So just, I mean, I don't want to get too personal, but where's Francis from? Where is she going to school? Is Frances- she? She is from Whitefish Bay. Okay. All right. So Wisconsin girl. So. Just outside of Milwaukee. Yep. yep. Yeah, just literally not, not five far mi- from us. Like five minutes yeah. up the road from me. I'll visit and say hi. Johnny B's yeah. delivered newspapers there before. Nice. Oh, no. And she goes to uh, St. Norbert's in uh, De Pere, probably at Lambeau Field. Okay. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. You're covering all of Wisconsin. And then you're from way up in northern Wisconsin. Yeah. We, we, the running, yeah. The whole thing. And to get off uh, track right away, it always interests me about single people on tour. Because there's not a lot of time for social life. And, you know, where do you meet someone? If Do you have someone? Is it off-season? Is it, like, the whole long distance and significant other thing always, for whatever reason, just really, it really interests me on how people deal with that throughout the year. So, have you been, what is it, a lot of video calls? Or just kind of like, hey, I'm going to be in town? Or, cut like, preserve. Is she going to come out to the preserve and things like that? Yeah, she plans to come to like preserve. I don't know about Ledgestone. Uh, we haven't really figured all it all it all out yet, but um, no, yeah. I mean, it is long distance for easy. It's easier for me, obviously, because she's in Wisconsin. So when I do go home, she's only a couple hours away, and then, um, yeah. Right, well, it's, next time you're in Whitefish Bay, well. just give us a ring. You can swing by the studio some Tuesday night. Yeah, <laughs> five minutes away. <laughs> Awesome. Awesome. Uh, so <laughs> now that we got that all squared away, I mean, Johnny, they've only been dating six months. Lay off I, the guy. I'm, it, it's a whole interest, not just with Adam, but with everybody. Uh, no, it we, is. We have a it lot is. of single guys on tour. Just saying. Uh, yeah. And then married life and, and yeah. who has significant others. Philo said it this weekend, right? Like 10 years ago, if you're married, which most of our golfers aren't, but if you were married 10 years ago, there was no way the finances made it practical that your significant other was, or your husband, wife, whatever, was also on tour with you. And now that's becoming, again, more and more commonplace. And you you have Juliana, who, of course, performed this weekend uh, very well, along with Jim. You see Johnny and Jen McRae, uh, and a lots of couples out there. But 10 years ago, that just simply wasn't practical because the finances weren't there. So awesome. All right. Well, let's talk about this weekend where you threw some Frisbees around and – you said it to me, and, I, and, and when when you said it, you said it. It almost even caught me off guard. It's been two years since since you won a big event, huh? Like, yeah. I didn't even realize Maple that. Maple Hill won so year and a half. How much do you think about that? I mean, you compete every weekend, but how much do you think, man? Another event, and and I and I'm not on yeah. on top of the podium again. How much does that eat at you? Yeah, I mean, the thought of is my prime done? Am I am I washed? Am I going to win again? Um, you know, you have to believe in yourself and trust the process a little bit that you know you will you know rise to the occasion and be on top again. And 
that's part of being a professional athlete. Um, you got to be patient, and your time will come from time to time for sure. It's just so damn competitive. It's hard to win. Yeah, and, I, and, and you know, when we so see multiple-time winners, you, I guess you kind of took it for granted, and we've seen just outright domination from Ricky and Paul for a couple of years where it felt like it was only one or the other was going to win. But now any weekend, anyone can win, and this weekend was your weekend. What do you reflect on when you look at a Corey and an Aaron and a Proctor who are all on your card when you look at those guys all still hunting for their first Elite Series win, like if you had fatherly or brotherly advice, what what would you say to them? I don't know. Um, that's a tough question. I'm not sure. Um, just stay in it, I guess. Um, never give up. Fight to the end. And uh, take a deep breath when you start to feel nervous, I guess. It seems so easy, but. Well, is it a tougher you know, I, question because been, they're. Go ahead. Sorry. I said I probably only had a chance to win three or four Elite Series, maybe five. I, would, I don't know off the top of my head. But then, you know, I've only won two Disc Golf Pro Tours. So I've only been in that position to win Elite Series a handful of times. So the experience for me, you know, is a little bit greater than most of the people. But it's still not like Paul, Ricky, you know, Chris Dickerson, Paige. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I, I mean, I don't know because I'm still experimenting with what to do at the top and how to control emotions and, and pressure in those situations. Well, let's... You know, especially at the Portland Open, you know, that's a big tournament. And to have the league go on the final day, you know, I haven't had that in that caliber of a tournament ever. Um, so it, it was new for me, too, honestly. Well, let's talk about how you handled the pressure, and we'll get right to the putt on 18. Like, you knew that Gossage had 40 feet-ish or so to go, or maybe it was inside the 35, no, it was, 30, yeah, it was 35. 30, 30, 35. You were sitting 60 out. 48. Yep. And, and, like, how do you maintain your composure at that point, knowing that's a tough putt for him, it's a tougher, it's a technically a tougher putt for you because of the distance. How do you maintain your composure? What do you do to, to center yourself and, and drain that putt? Um, just, I was thinking back to the other circle two putts I made and the routine I went through and the deep breaths I took before. Um, those putts were falling for me most of the day. There was only a couple circle two putts I missed in that final round. Um, but yeah, I mean, I stepped up to the putt. The wind was down at that current time. i took a quick wind read with some grass and I was like, you have to put this almost now because if the wind comes, you almost have no chance. And I instantly went back to it, like two pump fakes and I let it fly and it was a pure line. The wind didn't mess with it all and it fell. So, um, no, I don't know. I just stayed focused like I was for the whole round, calm and focused. I never really got too antsy over a shot. And you know, I, I obviously I wanted that last putt to go in and, uh, I'm just fortunate enough that I kept it in the air long enough on the elevated basket. Was that an option in your head when you threw the approach? I mean, because you you attacked the basket, you ended up going out of bounds. And was that part of the game? I don't say game plan, just be aggressive and try to get close. And if I go OB, hopefully I can tie. It was that, did that all run, did all the scenarios run through your head? I mean, Goose had the one stroke lead going to the final hole. So I assumed, you know, this is one of the easiest birdies on the course. Um, 
almost everyone in the field can reach that hole in two, whether it's air shot roller or air shot, air shot. Um, so I, I had to sit there and assume that goose was going to birdie and win the tournament. So I had to Eagle. So I was standing over my second shot lie and talking over with Austin Turner and, uh, the wind was just swirling. It was all over the place. It didn't, I didn't really know what shot to throw at the backhand turnover flex. It like, I think it was like maybe like 450 to 460 in or the roller. And I was throwing the roller really good all week. And I threw a couple in practice into that green. So I, I went with the roller, not a good release overcooked too far. Right. And it just, it went out of bounds. It went out of bounds 60 short, right. Uh, yeah. And, and you knew that, I, I mean, getting a, yeah, getting a roller to finish, inbounds over there was going to be tough no matter what. I mean, you could give yourself 20 tries and the the likelihood is still relatively low, but it's something that you had to do unless you were, you know, trying to yeah. finish maybe way off to the left side of the hole. Uh and even that's not necessarily easy. So, it made sense what you were doing. I guess the the question is and and you've just kind of described giving Gossage all the respect and and the rest of the division the respect of thinking, "Hey, you're going to get up and down." But when you put that in, and then you parted the birdie. Did you feel like, wow, like I just put a ton of pressure onto his shoulders. Like yeah. I just took all the pressure off of my shoulders and just dumped them <laughs> like a bag of, like a 200 uh, disc bag of uh, Frisbees and just dumped them on his, on his back at that point. Did you know what you put on him? Yeah. yeah I mean, the, the crowd went with the crowd was so loud and instantly I knew the, the momentum has changed and then, mm-hmm. He has to go up and step over his 30-footer after he left his upshot you know, significantly shorter than he probably wanted. And, um, yeah, I mean, elevated basket, and uh, he did not make it. I remember, you know, I was on the sideline, and I just remember, you know, you going out of bounds, and, and nobody was second-guessing your decision to be aggressive for all the reasons we just talked about. And then I I think it was off-air. I chimed in to Ian and Philo, and I'm like, guys, like, that – Adams is actually still makeable. He's not so far back that, you know, that's a guaranteed par. Like, he's he's within putting range. And I'm like, I think it's about 60. And then I got a little closer. I'm like, that might be that might be 45 or 48 even. Like, he's in between circles. This is a makeable putt. And Philo told yeah. me after the tournament, he said, thank you so much for giving us that. He's like, we, we didn't even really think of it as being a practicality because they couldn't yeah. quite tell where you had gone out of bounds. And did you know how close when, when it, when OB, the flag goes up, did you realize and think, Oh, I could still make that. Was that even a thought? When I got up the fairway and I, I looked way down there and I saw that the orange flag, on you know, out of bounds where my disc went out and I was like, wow, that, that went out, you know, closer to the basket than I actually thought. Cause from my angle, when I released the second shot, it looked like it rolled out of bounds 90, almost a hundred short. And okay. I would have to throw it in you know, to tie or, you know, to have a chance at least. Um, so when I got up there, I was definitely a little shocked that I, you know, had a makeable putt, and Austin said, go bang that thing. Go bang that. Go make that putt. <laughs> what was uh, – how, how much strategy was talked about with Austin while he was on the bag? I mean, was he – and, and what I mean by that is, was he a, in a – like just a friendly banter, chit-chat, converse, you know, kind of conversation, or was he a, hey, you know, take your force and throw it here kind of conversation? Like in general, what kind of caddy was he for you? Um, more or less just someone to talk to and make j- crack jokes. Okay. <laughs> that makes sense. Here, throw this one lefty like I would. <laughs> there, were, there was a couple of instances where I, you know, pulled him over and said, Hey, like, talk me through this, just like this angle, this speed, 
this the right disc and we we executed a couple shots together but for the most part i just uh, did my thing and we just had a good time yeah and i i guess i kind of assume that i mean you're obviously a top level player as is he you know what you're doing he's also for... a lefty so i don't know if i should take his <laughs> exactly you know what you're doing out there it's just a matter of him you know giving you that that banter or that calmness or that yeah. you know friendliness now he played but had a not so great weekend is that is is that am i right on that yeah i think he was too over for the event but he was super super stoked to caddy for me he actually caddy for me for the final three rounds mm-hmm. so after his round two round he instantly came out and grabbed the bag three I'm, and then four I'm, he actually didn't have to play in round four so we planned <laughs> we planned the tea time together <laughs> one of the advantages of uh not shooting so well you get to you get to watch the lead card i suppose <laughs> Yeah. Uh, <laughs> what were some of the? Uh, well, let's go back to seventeen. Actually, run through the course back. No, I, and I know I was just trying to think of different moments. I mean, I was making notes throughout the round and and thinking about a few things. But seventeen, you and Corey were basically landed what felt like a few feet apart in in those uh, that little clumping of trees, and it seemed like neither yep. of you had a, a lot of good options to get out of there. Just describe what was going through your mind there and what were the scenarios and did you think you could save par even? Uh, par was definitely the goal from there. I okay. did actually try to play for birdie at a small window and had to push a nuke out, probably 550 low ceiling. It would have been a pretty pretty difficult shot. Um, but I tried. I in a hydrate out left. It skipped into the gap to maybe like 120 feet. Um, Corey was – where was Corey? Corey was, I think, a little bit more pinched. Okay, yeah. Um, I don't. From where I was, birdie was possible. It would have taken a miraculous shot. I think Corey was a little bit more pinched, and he was kind of just trying to play for par. Okay. Uh, you know, he threw a flex shot out there, and it didn't come back. Even if it would have came back, I don't think it would have been maybe circle two at best. But, um, yeah, I mean, don't make mistakes. Obviously, over par strokes on 17 would have been bad for both of us. Um, that's unfortunately what happened to me. Um, I did not get up and down from 120 feet. I tried to throw a jump putt, and the wind was swirling. And it just kind of clipped the last tree I had to miss to push into the circle and stayed at 35 feet and hit it off the band on the step hut, step hut. So, how much pressure were you feeling on set? Because you're very well of this, very well aware of the scores. Every stroke counts clearly. It just feels like some during the end of the round count more when they don't. But every stroke matters. And then you're standing over that putt to save the par on 17. He's lining up what should be a birdie. Uh, how, how much pressure were you feeling at that point on 17? Uh, that was probably the most pressure packed putt of the day. Um, okay. In my mind, if I, when I, I my, my mind, if I missed that, I lost the tournament. Mm-hmm. Um, cause it would have been two stroke swing. Obviously it was a two stroke swing. Um, then I gave Goss the one stroke going to 18 with, and with how easy hole 18 can be for birdie. Um, I thought, I thought I lost the tournament. I was pretty frustrated to get all that far. And then to you know, jump putt approach be the mess up. Um, but yeah, no, it was definitely a pressure putt. The wind was swirling on that putt. I couldn't get a read. I just had to put put some good pace on it and slam it in the middle, and it lifted on me. So, oh well. Yeah, uh, not not a problem. Now, I I think back to a few holes prior, thirteen and fourteen. Uh, your birdie streak came to an end. You had those six in a row, which I felt was just so crazy because you talked about that the day before. I was gonna say, and something Terry literally called on the air. <laughs> You know, earlier that he had mm-hmm. talked to you and said, you know, these are the holes that, t- that Adam said he's got to get. And then you went out and did it. You got 17 through, well, I think, or seven, seven, through, seven through, I think 12. you wanted 13 as well. But 
You got you got seven through twelve. That's an an impressive streak of birdies. I believe you're the only one to get all of those. Yeah, I have some really I had some really good uh, nukes in my bag this week, and it, it made some of those tee shots on you know that stretch of holes seem so easy, and then the approaches in even easier. You know, I just it, it, they, those those six holes felt really easy this week. I felt like every time I played them, I would have birdied them. So. Yeah, uh, so let's lean into that just a little bit and talk about, you know, I don't need every disc and every every weight and every condition, but what 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 is kind of your your some of your go-tos as you just talked about nukes? What are you throwing, you know, forehand, backhand and then what then what are you rolling? What's kind of the setup for you? So I think I have I had three main nukes in my bag. I had like two distance overstable ones, one that red one I was throwing. Um, a lot was more on the overstable side. And then I have my good Schlitt, Dan Schlitter um, green nuke, um, which is for all my rollers. And I can throw that thing and land it like 350 and it'll roll out another 300 if it's a really good one. <laughs> um, it's one of the best roller nukes I've ever had. It's been in my bag for a long time. And then forces, I have um, a flippy Z-Force, one of those old pink runs. I have a medium stable one. And then I have a newer one that I just got from Bob that's really overstable. Um, I didn't necessarily throw that disc a bunch. But I would say 85% of my tee shots this week were with, with a nuke, hmm. one of my good ones, I, either my blue one or my red one. Okay. And uh, then it, it, uh, Athena, the Athena is what I threw off the, on the playoff hole, hole one. So hole one, I was throwing Athena off that tee. That was like my turnover max distance disc this week. Most people don't think that's a max distance turnover disc, but it's what was comfortable for me this past week, and it was what was getting out of the gaps and pushing right far. So I went with that. Okay. Okay. Uh, <laughs> Obviously, low zone and the focus. That's there's only like five main molds I was throwing out there. And this is no slight on the course, and and I think this can be said of anyone playing well. It, I guess, that leads to my point, which is it feels like there was only three to five molds that were required out there, right? If you're playing well, you're not throwing 19 different molds. You're probably throwing just a handful of different molds, and it sounds. Like that was exactly the case for you. Yeah, for me, it's just, you know, pick one driver and know how to throw it on different angles and just, just work it. I mean, I've always, I've always loved not carrying a ton of discs in my bag and making, you know, one disc do three or four different angles and just manipulating it versus having a stable one, a beat up one and like, you know, a medium one, I guess you could say. But um, yeah, it, it, no shame to the course. I just think you get a comfortable driver in your hand, you're throwing a really good most most people are going to rely on one driver, if not just a couple out there. What does it, totally switching gears to, to looking at specifically on the event, four rounds, Elite Plus, you talked about it feeling like a major. I'll ask you about that in a second, but also... Huge payout. Well, yeah. Talk about a payout of 12500 bucks because that feels like a major payout as well, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. It's my biggest payout um, by a lot. And yeah, just the Disco Pro Tour did a lot for the Portland Open and made it really big this year. So it was, it was super exciting. The payouts were, were huge. And then when you talk about there, because there's a whole conversation we'll probably even have after you you depart from us. But there's a huge conversation about is the Elite Plus uh, d- does it pay off? Is it is it hype? Is it real? What about it makes it more significant? Is it is it rival a major? Should it? Uh, is it the right number of rounds? You know, what is it? So how would you overall kind of uh, recap an Elite Plus event? 
Um, I mean, having uh, 150 points for first and, you know, the heavy-weighted point system at the Elite Plus is definitely well, – if, you, if you're down – if you're on – I don't want to say it. If, if you're in if 17th you're and you want to get to 8th. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you can make huge jumps. I mean, I jumped from, I think, I don't know, 26th in world rankings to – eight or 12th or something okay i think yep. i went from like maybe like 20th and tour points to eighth or ninth yeah i think you went so, from like 17th to eighth is what i saw a minute ago but yeah you made a huge jump. They want to make a big jump if people want to make a big jump it's definitely <laughs> a tournament and i think portland open did an incredible job the disco pro tour everyone involved um they made it really feel a little bit bigger than an elite series um portland open has always felt a little bit bigger and this year they went above and beyond even more you know made it the elite plus and I think all the hype was there for me. You going to treat yourself to anything more luxurious on the road with your with your big paycheck? You got a a new bow and arrow in mind? I was going to say you, new fishing rod, new fishing uh, new rod. <laughs> Come on, what you what you going to splurge need to get on? Myself a new bow. At the end of the year, I might get a new bow. But uh, okay. no, um, we might get a hotel here, um, a nice hotel, and enjoy Montana. Nothing too crazy though. What is the standard, uh, again, sidetrack, what's the standard uh, tour plan in terms of lodging? Is uh, Are you guys usually Airbnb-ing it? Are you uh, hoteling it, staying at people's houses? What's kind of the the mix up there? Yeah, so we have a crew of four of us, me, AB, Tristan Tanner, and Austin Turner. Mm. Um, us four have been going in on Airbnbs every single week, and we always switch off on who fronts the money, and then we pay each other back. Mm. Um, but, yeah, we are. Uh, me and AB travel in my vehicle, and then Tristan and Austin travel in Tristan's vehicle, hmm. and we we just go in on Airbnbs each week. Okay. And uh, you're like, yeah, I'm getting the penthouse suite. Uh, <laughs> With the jacuzzi. Night, yeah, and this five-star. Yeah, you guys enjoy the Airbnb. The the, it's the bigger room, usually. Ah, okay. Okay. That, yeah. That's that's a fair compromise. Okay, but we I try like it all. We always try a full-size better, bigger for everyone. Give us the worst Airbnb experience this year. Oh, we got a good one. <laughs> okay. Champion Cup, we're staying in 30 minutes from the course. I forget the name of the city. We get there. The place smells like cigarettes, marijuana. It's not clean. It's pretty gross. But at the same time, it's like a $700,000 house in a really nice neighborhood. Um, anyway, I go to turn the sink on. No running water. We've soon to figure out every faucet. No running water. and um, I contact them and they uh, told me that there's a water outage in the area. And I didn't buy that for a second. I went across the street actually and knocked on the neighbor door and said, Hey, is there, is there a water outage in the area? No, not that I know if he goes, they probably haven't paid their water bill. Cause last time I didn't pay mine, they shut it off instantly. So right. that was on a, well, what day was that? That was, it was a Friday night we got there. Okay. So obviously um, wa- the water company they're not working Saturday, Sunday. So until they told us, we'll turn the water back on Monday. So we had no running water for the first three days in our Airbnb at Champions Cup. Wow. And I guess I, personally at that point, I probably would have, I guess I would have, I mean, I don't exactly, I don't remember how Airbnb There was worked. no other places. We, yeah. we were kind of screwed. I mean, if we went and got a hotel at that point, we'd have lost a lot of money from the Airbnb and then had to pay a lot more, even more. Yeah. And that's um, what I was thinking. Like, could you just got, pay for one night at Airbnb and bail? But. Yeah. What what did Airbnb do for you? Not much. And we got a small refund from Airbnb and then we got like maybe 300 bucks back from, you know, the owner themselves. So I think we ended up getting like, uh, I think it was like right around $500 back. 
when the whole thing cost maybe like just over 2k but um no it was definitely frustrating we couldn't really do anything about it we obviously we didn't want to get too pissed about it because we had a major and we had to focus on what we were doing but um it was definitely an inconvenience and it sucked <laughs> okay uh the best airbnb experience you've had this year let's let's counter that the best one maybe what was the best one the best airbnb best airbnb or experience or special or something unique to it or or uh location or sites or anything uh we had a pretty sweet airbnb in nashville pretty close to broadway so we always had some fun after hours down there in nashville um i don't know we we, we don't usually spoil ourselves and get crazy ones we try to find deals and at least everyone get everyone gets a bed so yeah that and that's um, got to probably have, raise the I, I, crazy airbnbs in the past with jeff corns but i didn't pay for those <laughs> yeah i got i got an airbnb recently uh stevie held and i went up to zobel he got an airbnb and i'm not i'm not kidding you we walked into a room triple bunk bed it slept nice. three Tri- in, triple. a triple for three for me <laughs> mark the shark and matt parker who was on the top uh, <laughs> no, none, none of us, none of us. I looked at it, and went. I got the living room couch. Shark took the mattress yep. and t- went in the laundry room. Like and Steve's just like, oh, I don't know. Yeah, Steve took the other big bag. <laughs> you know, I mean, yeah, it's yeah, very, right. very typical stuff. I, and that's what I was gonna say is when you're talking about getting an Airbnb that doesn't pull that shit, uh, yeah. that you know gives you legitimate beds and bedrooms, you're always gonna be paying more. So you guys are, uh, you know, doing it. It might cost you a few dollars more, but your comfort is worth it. Yeah. So usually keep it try to keep it between two hundred and three fifty each per okay. person each week. Okay. That's I about what it. we're at. Awesome. So I have a question regarding the shirt. Is that an Adam Hammis shirt? Is that the oh, yeah. the hammer? It's the big sled shirt. <laughs> yeah. Because our producer Mo has been trying to push the nickname the magician of Manaqua. <laughs> I don't know where he yeah. picked it up. I think he made it up, but and then on the broadcast we saw, you know, the Hammer Hammis. Is that the official tour nickname? Is the Hammer, the Hammer, or Big Sledge? Nay, uh, Jomez and uh, Nate Sexton and Germ they all gave me the nickname Big Sledge, so I came out with this Big Sledge T-shirt, and they're actually the stamps actually on disc too. Yeah, nice. So it happened after uh, Masters. That's where I got the nickname. Okay. Yep. Makes perfect sense. Uh, <laughs> I guess uh, I think about your touring pal right there in in AB. Maybe you can ask him where he can hear me. AB, when when are when are you going to take it down? Because everyone's calling for you to win one as well. I'm waiting for Ledgestone. Waiting for Ledgestone. <laughs> I mean, okay. I mean, that's going to have a big payout. Four day Elite Plus, huge payout. Like that's a good call. Yeah, and it's one of the most fun tournaments of the year too. All my buddies, some of my buddies from Arizona are going to be out there. And then we get to hang out with Terry on the boat. Yes. <laughs> yeah, uh, the boat. Really? Huh. There's a casino that may be nearby. Yeah, that really? I may just pop in and see what all yeah. these kids are doing, just so I know we for the broadcast. Boat, <laughs> <laughs> okay, Terry. All right, all right. Anyway, <laughs> yeah, some good times. Um, all right, so... Is there, uh, you know, during the press conference, I'm looking at everybody's schedule, and it feels like literally 
every single weekend, like till September. You got most people are just jamming them all in every single weekend. Is yeah. that kind of what your schedule looks like as well? Yeah, we are in Montana. A lot of people are skipping this one. I wanted mm-hmm. to come here and play this one. Um, I've never actually been to Montana. It's my first time, so we're up here in the mountains, and it's it's beautiful. There's a lot of sweet views. The course is awesome, and just have a fun week here. So, no, we I think me and AB just went on a really long streak. We went OTB, Beaver State. Obviously, I dropped out of Beaver State. I was sick. Mm-hmm. Um, Cascade, Portland. Then we are here. So, four or five yeah. and then we go straight to the ddo des moines preserve mm-hmm. three more after this and all eight. yeah and then and so, then the following good. weekend Never. is either casey wide open or and or maybe getting ready to go to sula are you guys doing sula and european open or what's the plan yep yeah we're going out there we don't have our tickets booked yet for whatever reason um, okay but we plan to we're <laughs> planning to go to europe um, i'm trying i'm trying to try to go home and see my family right before that and then it sounds like we're going with Jeff Corns, me, AB, and Jeff Corns. So it sounds like we're going to be flying out of Chicago. Yeah, that makes so perfect that'll sense. So that'll probably be fly out maybe like July 7th or 8th, if I had to guess. Yep. Yeah, because I noticed quite a few people will play, not quite a few, but some people are playing Kansas City wide open. That's the 7th through the 9th. And then I thought, wow, that's a quick turnaround. If you're not getting on a plane till Monday the 10th, and then you're playing mm-hmm. in Sula, you know, come Friday. Uh, you know, with with people and and jet lag, that's kind of a quick turnaround uh, when you think about it. Getting oh, out for to sure. Norway, yeah, got to get over so. there a little bit early and get acclimated. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's uh, that's awesome. Uh, yeah, it's just so busy. I mean, there's so many good events, and awesome. Yeah. Great to hear that you're in Montana. When so many people talk about man Montana and being there, if it's not for golf, it's usually for hunting. So I'm sure you'll be able to mm. check out. You know, some sights and scope out some spots, maybe talk to Kazi. He knows he goes <laughs> yeah. out there every year. Yeah. I just dream about elk when I'm up here. <laughs> uh, so give us a quick overview of the course. You saw it today then, right? Or no? Yep. We got through eight. Today. Yep. All right. Give um, a, You know, be, go ahead. It's going to be like a Northern Arizona kind of, kind of vibe. It's up in the mountains with, uh, you know, pine trees and stuff like that. Open, there is some wooded shots. It's going to be on the shorter side. Um, but I think, you know, uh, whoever's the most fit might win this week because there really? is a lot of hill walks and stuff like that. So I think in a tournament setting, it'll be a little slower paced and won't be as bad as a practice round just firing shots. But no, it was 85 today, and we had to walk up a lot of mountains. Not, I wouldn't say massive mountains, but mountain hills that are large in the, in the heat. It was, it was a long round. I was just going to look. What do you have any idea what the forecast looks like for this weekend? I mean, is it going to be? It's going to be physically taxing on you. It says like fifty percent thunderstorms um, every day until the end of the week, Hmm. but I'm not sure what that looks like. We're in the mountains; it can get scattery and kind of just dump wherever. But yeah, um, no. It says I think for the high every day is at least eighty degrees, so it is hot here. And so what kind of elevation are you talking about? I mean, stuff that you're really noticing the overstability on disc coming into play or is it, is it minor? Um, what's it like, I'd say the course is probably like 3,500 feet. Okay. That's what the tournament director told me today. Um, we definitely noticed a little bit of a more stable edge on our disc today. Um, I'll be throwing flippier discs for sure. I think, you know, the good Schlitt roller I was, or that good Schlitt nuke I was talking about might be my distance air shot disc here. Um, 
So there is there is a little bit of a difference. Not as bad as you know higher elevations like uh, Beaver Ranch and Colorado or anything. Sure. Now some of the silver events, especially the silver events, it feels like people really make game time or week day decisions about possibly not playing in them because it's a silver event mm-hmm. or they're coming off a big event like Portland. When I say names like Heimberg, I'm just reading right down by by uh, rating. Heimberg, Burr, Barella, Robinson, uh, Dylan uh, Blanchard, Marweed, Alden Harris, Double G, yourself, Kevin Jones, uh, all people you're expecting to be there, or do you know of any of those not? Uh, I, I expect the uh, Alden Harris, Gannon Burr, and Isaac Robinson crew to be here. They play all the Silver Series. They're young and grinded out all the time. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm not. I, I did see Marweed's van today, I think, so... I believe he is here. Yeah, he is here. He also had that huge ace today um, on a pretty crazy hole. What? Tell us but, about um, it. Yeah, I expect- Emerson Keith's not playing. I called him today. He said he flew home. He's still on the registration. Calvin dropped. I think Calvin has some some slight back mm-hmm. issues. Very major, but he just wants to take it off. If anyone can afford it, he can. <laughs> and so he's fully ready to go. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I mean, in Calvin battling back, it's a whole secondary story to you winning. But Calvin, who started off pretty abysmal and then really fought back into a solid finish for the weekend, you know, he's proven how yeah. consistent he is. And maybe that's where your comment comes in about, you know, if anyone can afford it, he's he's uh, played good he's golf. Plenty, he's got plenty of tour points. <laughs> uh, when it comes to, I was thinking of a rumor I heard about Calvin's contract. So instead of talking about that, I'll kind of divert to. Do do the all the tour players kind of know what other tour players' contracts look like, or is that just within a small group of your friends? And is it an awkward conversation? It's pretty quiet, honestly. I don't really have an idea of what. There's I mean, there's rumors that fly around of who, people are getting paid what and stuff, but I don't really pay attention to it too much, and I don't really know a whole lot. Um, even. You know, A, B, we don't even discuss our contracts, even though they might be pretty similar. But it, it, we re- there really isn't a whole lot much, a whole lot of talk about it. That's what I was actually going to ask, if you knew what your traveling partner's contract was compared to yours. I mean, clearly, you've got two Elite Series wins. You should be just raking it in versus, you know, Mr. Passenger over there. Yeah, does he even get a bed? <laughs> I don't even know. <laughs> he sleeps on the floor until he wins. <laughs> what do you got to say? <laughs> say it to his face, Johnny. Say it. Say it to his face. Uh, I'm like five or two thousand miles away. I can say anything I want. And and regardless, hey, listen. We're just, the last time we played an event together, I think I beat you. You were like 14. That's all I can say. Where did you beat? Uh, I think the it was 2012 Mem- Mad City. <laughs> no, no. I think it was Memorial in like 2012 or 2014 or some crap like that. We were both advanced players. I think he took like tenth, and I took fifth, or some bull crap. Yeah, he's know. he's talking trash to. It was AB. a long, long time ago. It was a long time ago when AB wasn't taller. Than yeah, him. AB was probably like thirteen or fourteen, and was still out driving everybody. It was ridiculous. But I, I, it's the it's the only thing I can hang my hat on. Yes. So yeah, I think Drew Gibson beat us both. So whatever. There's that. <laughs> Yeah, let, let's go there for a second. Oh, let's, yeah. What, no, not there. You you and AB, why aren't you guys causing like a scene or, or uh, starting shit on social media these days like some of the other guys? Neither of you guys really do that. Why not? 
what, what kind what, what kind of stuff do you want us to stir up? I mean, you just go out do there, it. give us a hot take. I'll put it in air quotes. Give us uh, a hot take that like half the people just absolutely disagree with, or is maybe too cocky, or or is just completely idiotic. I don't know. Like, isn't that? I don't what, know. I, I, that's not who I am, and that's, I will never do it. So, <laughs> all right. I don't know what you're on me. <laughs> I don't have Twitter, so I can't just go on Twitter and tweet some stupid freaking thing. How much do you guys pay attention? Do you guys? Do you guys? You're in the car. You got a 600 mile drive, and are you ever like, oh god, what did so and so tweet or put on Instagram? Do you ever even like look or care or have those conversations about what others are saying? Oh yeah, we always look at that stuff. <laughs> Everybody right, so on tour talks. They I all say, know what each other are saying, and so they all... you learn. <laughs> I think everyone in disc golf wants to know what the next beef or drama is because it seems like there's a new one every week. <laughs> all right, so give us the insight or, now. What what's going to be the next or, topic? Or, yeah, or no, or what's the topic everyone's I, talking about oh. right now? Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hopefully me winning the Portland Open. I don't know. <laughs> okay. That, that's such a nice cop out. I love it. <laughs> uh, there's a bunch of people on the internet hitting on my step foot, so. Because they're thinking it's a guarantee if you slow every single one of those down, the putter's well before well up before my left foot hits the hits the ground. So Okay. Yeah. All the step butt hate. It's clean, it's pure, it's legal, and it works good. Yeah, Sorry, I, I've like got it. honestly no problem. We've said it we've talked about this on the show before. I think step putts it's with step putts, I think it's a lot harder to be illegal because I think once you hit your foot hits the ground, it your balance would be a little bit shaken. From the putt, oh, yeah, I mean, as opposed to jump putts, all which, the pop, you know, all the pop for me in a step putt comes with my foot off the ground. If my left foot was on the ground, I wouldn't get any pop and it wouldn't fly correctly at all. Mm-hmm. So, um, for all those, all those pure putts that went in, um, they're perfect. They were absolutely perfect. I guarantee it. We'll slow them all down later on the show. Don't worry. Yeah. Once you're off, we'll be like, ah, I, look at I this. I thought about going back and slowing them all down and making a little video and posting it. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Okay. Uh, I mean, that. Guys go here to slow down. It's legal. Who's the best step putter right now? Oh, gosh. Who else step putts? AB step putts. Goss step putts sometimes. Ooh. Yuli, Brody. I've uh-huh. seen them both all step putt. Um, Felberg, really bro, step putting. Who? Felberg. 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 Yeah. Yeah. Felberg. Yeah. 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 Felberg, yeah that's up. He's definitely up there. 
<laughs> it was um, not. Don't lie. <laughs> Ezra stat butts pretty well. Yeah. I don't know if there's one clear. But if if you had to put a fifty dollar bet, or we'll go a hundred, you just won a hundred dollar bet on on you know line up ten guys and say okay this person from sixty feet is going to step putt and make it. Who who you putting the hundred dollar bill on? And yourself included. Is okay. that you? Yeah, me. Yeah. Okay. Does it feel weird that it that you've changed up your long range putting uh, attempts when you have been so successful with other styles? Yeah, it's so it's weird. Put, putting styles have always been fun for me. I always like to switch it up. Um, I like to say use what works now, and you know sometimes it's good to refresh your mind and just try something else, and it can you know you can see results very fast. Um, so, you know, you'll have a little era where you're straddle jump putting, you have an era where you're not, you know, you're step, just stepping them or not even jumping at all. I mean, I've been through all of them. So, um, just, I don't know, I could maybe someday go back to not step putting, but in the current time is that's what worked the best and that's how the disc was going in the basket. So I, I go with it. There's yeah. Should, I don't want to just say, should C1 be expanded? Should I think should, it's really for like if you want to be a really good putter, experiment with all these different putts, straddle mm-hmm. jump putts, long standstills, getting consistent with the putter in your hand, no matter how your feet are on the ground, um, is how you can become a really good putter. Uh, <laughs> real Not quick, talk to one thing. Talk yeah. us through your com- your your situation of being in that tree, because that clearly no. was kind of a. A sideshow to the whole. Is that the day? The and is that day. the first time you've putted from a tree like that? Oh, definitely. Okay. I mean, we come from a wooded area, so there's a lot of trees. I could see a Northwoods open where you're stuck with up kind of in a tree, maybe, you know? Yeah, but that, you, you're know, like you four feet up, though. Tree. Those trees on Glendivere are so big, I don't think you yeah. could ever get yourself a whole, your whole body, you know, four or five feet up in a tree like I did. Yeah, so what was the conversation that you and Rebecca and the group had? I didn't get over there in time to hear it myself. What were what were some of the things that were uh, being talked about there? Um, we were just trying to figure out if I can get up there and and get a legal stance. Um, so that's why I jumped up there before Corey putted, and we just kind of wanted to figure out. And then it's nice to figure out what's going on in the green that's weird, and then we all kind of just putt in a row. So it's a smooth, smooth, you know, thing. Um, but yeah, I just jumped up there, tried to see if, if I could fit behind my disc and I could, I put my mini down. I got a little bit more room and, uh, just had to hold a balanced stance. Cause if I would have putted that and then fell back on the tree, it would have been illegal. Mm. I believe not a hundred percent. Would that be, I mean, you got to maintain balance. You can go backwards. You can't fall forward, but you have to maintain balance okay. or well, show some display either. of balance. Yeah. But the putt that got there was the worst putt ever. It was in the left to right when I tried to pop on and around the tree and it just lifted straight into the tree, somehow got through and fell on the other side of the root. Yeah, so that yeah, that wasn't your best effort. All right, so here's maybe one of my final few questions. You're the winner. A B is throws incredibly far. He happened not to win this weekend. So the question goes to both of you. Were those courses too long, too short, or just the right length? I think the first course we played was on the longer side. Distance was definitely an advantage. Um, obviously, for both of us, I think we liked it. I think the second course is longer. I'm pretty sure it is. Oh. I feel like the par fours and threes were much easier to score on, on the east side. 
The, was the west side the long side, Terry? That's what we're double checking. I feel like west was longer, but it was for the women. I don't know if it was for the it men was as well. It was 11245 for the east course, and the west course was 10692. So your your final two days, the east course was actually longer. Yeah, by 600 feet. Okay, so we're um, either course I, I too long. Course, it was a couple hole changes. There was a couple holes that were a little... Probably a little bit too long, um, but overall, I thought it was pretty dang, pretty dang sweet. <laughs> so the winner is the winner. <laughs> I mean, so that's why I say AB didn't win, uh, but AB also throws super far. So it's a fair question, though, still to ask AB. AB is are those courses too long or not? No, I didn't think they were too long at all. I I didn't really have a problem out there. <laughs> it was just okay. like I don't know. Played pretty poorly the first two rounds on that course. Couldn't get anything going. Uh, the second course is a lot more fun. Everyone has a way better time on it, but yeah, it just wasn't my week. Okay. Well, okay. Well, and I don't want to make this an AB interview, but AB, what do you need to do to win? No, I'm serious. Like, what part of your game is lacking right now? I'm. I'm is it putting? Is it driving? Is it approaching? Is it forehand? Like, where do you look back on the on this weekend and go, God, I really screwed up. X, Y, and Z, I need to get to the field or get to a course and really work on this in order to, you know, be able to compete with the driver. It's just, like, I feel like every every tournament this year I've had one round where I threw, like, 10-17, 10-20, and then the, all the other rounds are good. So I just need to get rid of that one round every single week, pretty yeah. much. So it's just a consistency. Which is probably only a matter of, like, three or four strokes because he's had a lot of top fives. Yeah, no, and so. that's and that's just it. He's having a good season. It's just you know, there's there's obviously a little bit of luck involved as far as getting yeah. that win. You know, you need to Three be able four to strokes of luck in your favor, and you're and you're you're right there winning them. So mm-hmm. he's so yeah, that, that's he's that's so that's like one or two kicks. <laughs> yeah, it is. It's one or two kicks. It's it could be the difference in spit outs. It can be the difference in a lot of stuff. Bad was wind it, gusts when you're on the hole. Was there a single surprise? For you on that final round, and, and it could mean anything—a disc that didn't go out of bounds, disc that did, uh, uh, somebody screwing up a shot. I mean, was there any any surprise during that final round that, like, you kind of thought about for a second? Not really. I played smooth, same mentality. Got all the birdies I did in you know round three. Um, it just felt smooth. I felt like all my tee shots were just super on point. My rollers, my air shots, my flex shots, just everything had a lot of control this week. And every tee box I stood up to, I had no reason not to birdie. But, it, you know, it's super hard to get all of them out there. So 9, 10, 10 of them is really good. And my last question tonight will be, do you feel like this win, I don't want to say opens floodgates, because that it's so difficult, as we said, to win, but relieves some of the pressure on your shoulders to win making you more relaxed on the course now? Or is there still going to be the intense feeling that you need to win? Because you've got a win under your belt this year, and getting a win is very difficult. It's definitely reassuring that, you know, I can win. Um, It feels absolutely amazing, and, you know, to do it again feels so good. Um, But obviously I want to go into every tournament with the same mentality to win it because, you know, if you can get two or three in a year, it's you're having – breakout years really good years so awesome all Definitely right not well, gonna relax too much 
move into the next tournament with the same mentality. So, sure, yeah, but like you said, I think that reassurance and yeah, uh, you're not going to lose any fire, so to speak. But you know that, uh, yeah. yeah, you 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 just re, I don't know, refilled the, uh, I don't know, proved uh, everyone that you could for the fire. Spice up your fans a little bit. I like it. All right, give us. Uh, I didn't. Do, I didn't do it for. I don't know how I got. Yeah, I mean, you were so. You were still so collecting your thoughts, maybe more than most, that I did not give you my best interview ever. So I apologize. But uh, in in the moment, but give us now your uh, your shout outs, your thanks, your your sponsors, your praise, and how people can go follow and support you. Yeah, thank you, thank you both, you guys, for you know getting me on tonight. I love being part of Smashboxes anytime I can. This is my favorite podcast. Um, yeah, just it was a smooth weekend. I had a great time. Thank you, Portland. Thank you to my sponsors, Discraft Resistance Discs, Grip Equipment, and Pastry. Uh, I threw a pastry-dyed Malta into the green on the playoff hole and ultimately made the twenty-footer for the win. So, super clutch disc there. And uh, yeah, it was it was a memorable weekend. Glad all my friends and homies could be there. It was awesome. And thanks to Austin Turner for caddying. He uh, killed it. Uh, is is there going to be any kind of, do you know of any commemorative or special release disc or something, a Discraft or any of your sponsors working on something like that? Yep. So I have a uh, commemorative champion disc coming out soon. The uh, I think the plate just got ordered for the hot stamping. So I think we will see those discs in less than two weeks, hopefully next week. That's kind of the information I got today. And then if you want to support me at all, teamdiscraft.com, every Discraft Elite team member has their own little spot on that website to support mm-hmm. each one. Um, you can support Goose, Corey, myself, anyone on Team Discraft, Anthony, and um, I should have some sweet stuff on there coming soon as well. So there's some, the jerseys I wore in round two and three are on there. There's plenty left. Um, they're super comfortable. They're true to size. Uh, hoodies, custom discs, all kinds of sweet stuff. So check it out, teamdiscraft.com. Yeah, that was awesome. We saw your jerseys drop. Tons of people out there repping them this weekend. You and AB uh, both putting them out there, and uh, I, I saw that. And a couple guys uh, out on the course, more than a couple, uh, had them on already and were ready to go on Sunday. So that was awesome uh, to see out there for sure. And then the you'll get a big slip. <laughs> Love it. There's more all right. Uh, well, guys, I appreciate all of you guys. I know you, you got a couple of your homies, as you said that are rolling with you that uh, also then had to be subject to all of this. So we appreciate everyone's patience. And uh, again, for you joining us here tonight, congratulations on a, on a huge victory. And uh, as we said, we know AB is going to be right there in the hunt, trying to take you down at the next one. And we, we're all here for it. We love it and uh, super proud of you. And it's awesome to see. So doing Wisconsin for, proud. Absolutely. So we love it, buddy. And uh, thanks yeah. for joining us. All right. Thanks guys. I appreciate you. All Thanks, right. Adam. Have a good Have one. A great night. Good night, everyone. See ya. All right. All right. Adam Hammes, champion right. this weekend, which Portland he... Open 2023 Elite Series Plus champion for $12,500. That has a long ring to it. A little long for my taste. Uh, <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> you can keep saying it, and he'll keep counting his dollar bills. I understand that. <laughs> as, as he should, he performed phenomenally, and a little bit of luck here and there. Uh, some phenomenal skill. It all adds up to a victory. Yeah. Uh, and it, it leads me to another comment. Remind me to come back to talk about those hot stamps. And uh, I was going to throw oh, out a, Well, we're going to talk uh, hot stamps. Later. I know. I And that's why I was going to say. I'll, I was going to throw out a joke, but if he's not on the socials, 
uh, keeping up on the drama, yeah. then it wouldn't have mattered to him. So let's recap what else we saw in the MPO division. Everyone that didn't win. Let's talk about the losers. I want a whole segment like now the losers. Uh, it feels bad saying this. Aaron Gossage, the first loser. <laughs> um, unfortunately, oh, too Aaron, soon. Yeah, I, literally too soon. <laughs> I don't know, man. Twenty four hour rule. Aaron Gossage goes into a playoff with Adam Hammes and unfortunately does not come out the victor. Uh, Aaron had a f- great weekend, great driving, good putting, all that great stuff. Corey Ellis in third place at 29 under par, one stroke behind those guys. If he just could have birdied that last hole, he'd have been in it with them. But, you know, woulda, shoulda, coulda. There's a probably, you know, six other places on that round he would have loved to have a stroke back. Fourth place, Mr. Consistent, Isaac Robinson. Now, as we joked about before, sliding. Sliding down the uh, the leaderboard. <laughs> a first, second, a third, now a fourth? What, what's, is he even trying? What's coming of this guy, man? It's just, <laughs> you know, it's it's tough to peak early. Fifth place, James Proctor tied with Alden Harris. Seventh place, a tie between Calvin Heimberg and Ezra Aderhold. Uh, Ezra, just having a really consistent, solid season. I, I don't think a lot of people picked that. Um, he would continue to perform at this level throughout the first half of the season. Ezra, for the longest time, known as a great distance golfer but has shown just really solid skills throughout the entire season. So congratulations to Ezra. Uh, a tie for ninth place between Ricky Wysocki and Gannon Burr. That rounds out your top 10 in MPO. Let's quickly move over to FPO. No shock here. Chris and Tatar walks this one in. Not a lot of drama here for the top. She said she was very nervous the entire round. Still performed well enough to keep everybody kind of at arm's length. It it got interesting. It got interesting, but it never felt like it was out of control. It never felt like she didn't have the win in hand to me. I I understand, like, it got a little little interesting, but I feel like Kristen Kristen was always there for it. Um, Fourth round was her worst round of the the four, but still a decent round. Uh, Second place, Sayananda. Proving to a lot of the world that she's here to stay. I, I don't think we had any doubts here in this booth as we've seen Sai play for a long time, but Sai, uh, a Pacific Northwesterner, so to speak, um, she is just continuing to play well. A, a very good drive and a very solid putt puts her in second place. She made a little run at Kristen, but like I said, it was more, it was honestly more of a battle for second than it was for first. And tying for third place, own Scoggins and Juliana Corver. Uh, Ridiculous. Th- th- there's an age joke or comment there somewhere, but just amazing golf. I think I, I don't know if it was PDGA stats or stat Mando that made a post third place. Both those players are major winners. All, all of our top ones are technically major winners. Sayananda has the, uh, the am major. Mm-hmm. Juliana has obviously multiple world titles. Own has the Masters major, and Kristen Tatar is our current world champion, but also the age difference. You've got Sayananda in her 20s, Kristen Tatar in her 30s, Own Scoggins in her 40s, and Juliana Corver in her 40s plus. Yes. <laughs> she's, she's in the 40 plus division. She's in the 40 plus division. <laughs> um, nothing but respect for JK. Obviously, we're friends and love her to death. Fifth place, Paige Pierce, another 
huge world champion. Fifth place as well, Missy Gannon, tied for seventh, Emily Beach and Ella Hansen. I kind of expected Ella to do a little bit better on these longer courses, but I think just I, I was picking her more for a top five, but can't argue with seventh. I mean, but the, the distance between your top three and your top five, it was a significant gap. It was six strokes. And ninth place, Katrina Allen. And a three-way tie for 10th between Rebecca Cox, uh, Rachel Turton. Very solid finish for, I believe, her f- is this her first Elite Series event? First Elite Series, yeah. We've seen uh, her at a couple of other events. But yes, her but first... this is her first Elite Series. Uh, and we saw her, obviously, at the Sula last year, where she got a lot of FaceTime on camera. And then 10th place, also Jessica Wee. So congratulations to our top 10 FPO finishers. Um, and huge. I, I know we kind of already gave it. Huge shout-out to Own Scoggins, shooting a 10-down course record that final round. What what a display of guts and just will to move herself up. She moved up four spots to get under that podium that final round. Uh, yeah, she made her charge on, the, on that last two rounds, and it was so impressive. I think she shot a six-down in round three and then a 10-down mm-hmm. in round four and then you look at her score of obviously 19 under for the weekend and you think wow you picked up six you went 16 under uh during those last two so and two impressive. different courses she clearly liked the east or i won't say liked but she performed Played. better on the east course than she did the west course yeah uh i i, I don't know what else we can say except for putting will typically i, I don't want to say putting is the great equalizer is what but they it, say but it really is yeah you go out i mean I don't think we could scream this enough times on enough podcasts on any given night or show that you should practice your putting. Mm-hmm. You you can make up so many mistakes. In- you can recover so much better if you are a solid, consistent putter. And maybe even more importantly, when you are throwing it to a range where you're not getting nervous or as nervous because you have a larger comfort zone when it comes to the putt, it's going to translate into making things easier for you overall and probably less stressful. You think about someone that throws a putt to 20, we'll say 25 feet and is just like, just uh, super nervous over making that 25 footer versus own who throws to 25 feet and she's all but written, you know, <laughs> the, written the putt it's on her scorecard. She has to mark it with marker. Yeah. So it's, there, there's obviously, and I, I know this is going to sound all too Madden-like, but people, practice your putting. It's just more, I don't want to say more specifically, obviously it helps out in every division, but in FPO it's so much more important because we see a lot of the top players they don't necessarily have the greatest putt. Own Scoggins, Kristen Tatar, Missy Gannon. Like, those are your best regular putting on tour players. Cat Merch is up there as well. I'm looking at the C1X putting. Uh, right now, your current leader is Sarah Gilpin, who is at 80, 83%. Own Scoggins is at 80%. Has Sarah played all the events? I don't know. No, she's, I was going to say that's a probably a, a, a much it's smaller like sample, a size. sample size. Uh, Missy Gannon is sitting at 79%. Cat Merch at 78%. Uh, Silva Saarinen, I, sorry, I probably massacred that, is at 78%. And then you move down to Kristen Tatar. There's a few more uh, Europeans in there. Kristen Tatar is at 76%, I believe. It's very small text. But those are big differences. And especially for Own Scoggins, C2 putts. Because not only is she 
so solid in C1. She's hitting some of those C2 putts as well. She's at 19%, which is, you know, Missy Gannon is at 15%, and Silva's at 17%. But Own Scoggins is making up the strokes on the green. And in the FPO field, it's so much more important. If you can be a consistent putter, you will probably take top 10 every single week. Yeah, if you're, if uh, I was just going to say, so did you just mention 83? That's Sarah. And again, be, only because her sample size is so lo- uh, low. Mm-hmm. Who's the next best C1X putter in the Disc Golf Pro Tour right now? Overall or just Overall, in FPO? his own, his own Scoggins. I'm sorry, in FPO. In FPO, his own, his own Scoggins. Scoggins. Yeah. Yeah. What this percentage? Is, at 80%. This 80. is this. I have it sorted by C1X putting right now. Okay. 80%, 79% for Gannon, 78%. Um, okay. Yeah. yeah. I mean, and, just just and, think of, uh, compare just, that, and I, and I know it's not necessarily entirely fair, but compare that to your Marweeds and your Coriolises and your top putters that we're seeing from C1X on the MPO side, your Matt Bells over the last few years, who are consistently at like that 93, 94%. If you had any woman consistently at 90 or 92 or 93 or 94%, whatever the number is, had them at that, they're clearly, I can't guarantee they're going to be in the top three. You just said top 10, top five, top three, every single weekend is likely what would happen. To put this in reference, Own Scoggins is, I believe, 18th in circle one in regulation. So 18th. So she's getting, she's at 32% versus... Kristen Tatar at 43%. So there's a 9% difference. I'm sorry, 11%, I can't add. 11% difference in the number of times Kristen Tatar gives herself a birdie putt versus Own Scoggins from C1X. And Own is hitting more of them. Yeah. So if Own was up there where Kristen Tatar is, this would be the Own show. This would be the disc golf Own tour. (laughs) (laughs) But obviously with her distance, um, deficiencies compared to some of the other women on tour. I mean, look at the top, the top women in C1X, Evelina, Tatar, uh, Blomroos, Allen, Hanley, Hansen, Oliva, all crushers in that field. You you can't, they're just, you gotta get done. You gotta get it done on the the green in FPL right now. Yeah. You gotta get it done. Yeah. Until those big long throwers can get it done on the green. Own will continue into her uh, her 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 masters plus aging. Ma- masters plus aging well into the top five or ten. So that's that's about all I fact like we can say about that. Putt for dough, people. Putt for dough. A uh, couple of quick notes. Then also on the MPO side. Uh, well, we can talk FPO side since we were just there. Uh, Paige Pierce. Very much in the conversation and lingering, but doesn't have a dominant weekend by any means. Uh, I, I, for the first time, we've seen her in the middle, I guess. We've seen her win events, yeah. and we've seen her, granted, an injury-prone you know, Champions Cup uh, example where she really struggled and you know was way down. I, I almost hate that Champions Cup is even on her resume for this year because she played so injured that it, it will continually talk about it or it'll be 
in the books, but there's not an asterisk that was like, hey, played at 60% when she really shouldn't have probably even mm-hmm. played. So it's always going to be yeah. out there. But anyway. Got to have it, though. Exactly. But so you see Elite, uh, I'm sorry, you see Music City, you see Waco, where those were just uh, very unpage like. And then this one's finally like in the middle, where she wasn't on the top and she wasn't on the bottom. She played this is a, in the upper echelon. This is kind of where I expect her to be or better. When when Paige Pierce, when you talk about Paige Pierce for the weekend, you say, All right, where's Paige going to finish? Everybody should be saying, eh, she should probably finish top five. Because that's where you Correct. feel like she is. You, right. It still feels like it's the Tatar, own Paige, Cat. Like those to me feel like what should be. And we're, that's not bearing out as we see. We've got Cy, we've got Ella, we've got Holland, you know, we've got Emily Beach lately, Maria Oliva lately. It's the the field is getting deeper, but you still feel like Paige's floor should be like top seven at worst. Yeah. And and it, that's not clearly that's not bearing out. So we'll see how the rest of the season goes if that is what happens. And I know we've we talked about this the quote-unquote monkey on her back, I'm still waiting for that weekend where Paige beats Tatar heads up. Yep. You know, Paige, Paige has performed well, but it's basically been at the events that Tatar wasn't there. And you have to wonder if that has been and she coincidence. Did, no, I mean, and she, I'll say she did beat her at the Austin event, the Open at Austin, mm-hmm. where Tatar took fifth. I believe... Was that the event right before Tatar left for uh, Europe? Was that the one that she was kind of going to go checked out no. of? Or, or no, was that uh, – anyway. I, no, you're right. That was, that's, that was earlier in the season. So she, she did win the Open at Austin, the EGBT event, over Chris and Tatar. But you feel like it, it just – it should happen. I, I, want, I personally want to see more competitive. I want to see more of a battle. One win one week, one win the other week. Maybe – we see a, a sigh and then a cat, and then, you know, we haven't even talked about, uh, uh, crap, oh, I'm totally blanking on the name here. Um, cat Merch, sorry, I couldn't even couldn't get it out. Cat Merch, I was thinking Cat Allen so much, I couldn't get Merch out. Cat Merch has won two events this year. Yeah. So there, there is so much potential in the FPO field. I love that we're seeing Tatar, who is right now unstoppable. Some people really love that. Some people don't want to see that. We we saw in the past Paige Pierce and Katrina Allen dominate the field, and some people thought that was boring. And I enjoy watching regardless of who's winning, but I want to see competition personally. Okay, well, uh, and then a quick shout out: uh, Jennifer Allen did post that uh, she felt a little tweak in her back. So take that for what you will in terms of other events you're going to see her signed up for. She felt a little tweak in her back. She was able to ma- maintain and get through it. It was right around this time, I feel like last year, when she was some fantasy holding, implications, maybe holding her back yeah, well in like, between throws, like lim- practically limping around. Exactly. So uh, I don't. I yeah. Um, I was going to say I don't know if that could be weather related in any capacity, but we had really unique, <laughs> glorious, beautiful weather this weekend. So I don't think it would have been related to that. Now I know joints and and pain can come from sometimes with moisture and whatnot, but that was never the case this weekend. So either way, if that has some fantasy implication for you, 
she did make that post as of recently. And I'll, I'll jump ahead in, within FPO and, and say this weekend, as I'm looking at Missoula still, I had that up at Zootown. Uh, in the FPO side, we see that uh, Valerie Mundahano is listed as registered. She's not she will not be playing that. So I would I would take that to the bank. Uh, and I'm looking down to she's, see if there's anyone else. She's going to make her of. debut at DDO. Yeah. So it, it's worth listing since uh, she is put on the list right now. It was worth noting that you will not see her uh, this weekend in Montana. I want to talk a little bit about Aaron Gossage. Aaron, who's having a great month, performing phenomenally since I think that was at the 202 event. Is that the name of the event? The 303. 303. Thank you. 202, 303. Maybe yeah. it's the 404. Yeah, I don't know. One of those. Um, <laughs> thank you. Uh, has been performing great. Do you feel like that final hole 18, he threw the wrong approach shot. He was sitting there with 180, 200 to go, whatever that number is. And I was sitting here behind the switching device as I didn't realize I had to switch until like Wednesday. So I told everyone like, ah, I'm done for the summer. And then I realized, no, I got this weekend. And we had a camera shot right behind him. Shout out to Mark Hill. Thank you for the super chat, Mark Hill. Huge appreciation. Thank uh, you. I, it might only be working for Mark, so if other people want to check it, please go ahead and click that. But I, wa- I, I saw Aaron Gossage's shot from behind our cameraman. And on the left-hand side, you see a single tree, and it's an uphill shot. And then you see the basket, an elevated basket. And off to the right, you see spectators and a wide-open gap. And the first thing when I saw him lining up beforehand, I said it on the I said it in the control room. I screamed it. I said, "What are you doing? You have a backhand shot." I don't normally commentate on people's shots in the control room, but it just felt like a wide open shot as opposed to a forehand that he had to squeeze under a tree. Did I miss something or everybody goes to what they're most comfortable with? And he's clearly more comfortable with his forehand, but it just felt like one of our good friends, his name is John as well, John Turlap, always says, play the percentages. At least that's what he told me years ago. You feel like that was a better percentage shot, or you think his backhand was a better percentage shot? You know, there's a lot of shots that I look at, and I, they kind of baffle me. Uh, and this could be MPO, FPO, doesn't really matter. And it could be any time during the tournament. I, I'm, I can't remember. The, there was one specifically I remember thinking this weekend, like, what in the heck is that person doing? in whatever situation it was. All I can say to that, yes, it does make sense to play the higher percentage, but at this level, that higher percentage should go to whatever, should translate into also what is most comfortable mm-hmm. to you. I mean, there's plenty of times we especially look at a player that is dominant, whether it's a, a Chandler Kramer or a Sarah Hokum, and you're looking, you're like, what are they doing throwing that forehand there when it's such an obvious backhand to most? I use that as one example. Yes, I understand. The logic makes sense where you say, hey, this is such an easy shot, an easy backhand shot. But if if it's your not your your comfort zone, if it's not where your your if your blankie doesn't reside there, then and, then you, you gotta pick up your blankie and squeeze it real tight and do what's mm-hmm. most comfortable to you. And and I, I'll here's my little bit of insight. Answer all of this. Okay. Aaron Gossage gave us an interview during Tournament Central, which I'm so graciously appreciative of. Uh, I did not get a chance. To I don't know why that. anyone would want to stick around and do that, but he's a true professional. 
and and not suggesting anyone that doesn't do it isn't a no, professional. They're not. they're not professionals. Uh, they're no, amateurs. Wrong. <laughs> um, but Aaron gave an interview to Tournament Central right after he lost, mm-hmm. and as he walked away, kind of slapped his leg and said, "You got to get up and down from 150, dude." So it's 150. Uh, I just feel like at that distance, every professional at this level should have a forehand and backhand that's as good as the other. Now, me walking up there, 100%. You walking up there, I get it. Like, you go to whatever's your strength. Backhand is our strength. You and I wouldn't, there was, there'd be not a universe where we would think about throwing a forehand there. And I understand Aaron Gossage is a professional and... I just didn't know if there was a, sp- a specific wind, like if it was a right to left that he was worried about pushing or, no. or anything. It just, just comfort, just comfort. And I feel like, you know, armchair quarterback here, I feel like it was the wrong decision. I feel like you look at that shot and, and you could say the same of double G last year, right? Y- yeah. Yeah. I feel uh, double G is a little different. He was a little further out. It was rainy. It was whatever. Aaron Gossage had 150 feet to get up and down. I think Double G was a little more than that. He was running. I'm just saying, yeah. the, like second guessing. Second guess, there's always going to be second guessing in every loss. There has to be. But, and I know a lot of people are looking at the spit. I'm not even going to say it. The putt on 16 that came out. Do you have it handy? I I only I, saw I, barely I, from my perspective. Um, I could probably dig it up. In I, the- I would be interested to see it just because it was discussed so much. Um. And I was at some distance away from it to be able to actually see it. And, you know, it clearly felt like a little bit of, mo- of a mo- uh, momentum shift at that point. Uh, here's, here's what oh, I'll wow. do. I'll, I'll, yeah, I'll that, mute it. That wasn't I, my perspective. And I'll, uh, I'll bring it up, hopefully, on the screen for everybody else to see if I can do this. Uh, let's see if I can do this. Can I do this? Ah, there it is. Ah, I'm so good sometimes. Sometimes I'm so bad. Yeah, sometimes I'm sometimes. so good. Yeah. So here's the putt. So Aaron Gossage walks up, throws a hyzer putt, hits dead center chains. Not too high, not too low, a little bit of hyzer, and it comes right back out at him. It, wow, it kind of yeah. Okay, that is that is nasty, it, unfortunately. It, here's what I'll say. I have I've come to a new philosophy. I'm refusing to call those spit putts anymore because I feel like there is Aaron Gossage putts with in general, a lot of velocity. Yes. And that one did not look like it had a ton of velocity. He was 20 feet out, maybe 16, 18, 20 feet out spit putt to me now has to hit the bottom of the basket and come out because the, our sport requires you to get into the basket or be hanging by the chains. The goal isn't to hit the chains. The goal is to put it in the basket. Every player is looking to put it in the bottom of that basket. And the by chain, hitting the chains. The yeah. chains are there to slow you down. So when someone hits chains and comes out, yeah, that could stick 98% of the time. Mm-hmm. But it's not going to. We know that. There's always going to be 2%. I would say if you hit the bottom of the basket, that's sticking 99.9% of the time. And like it or not, and a lot of people are screaming, oh, and Drew Gibson, hey, we need consistent baskets. We need, you know, we need to get some baskets off tour. We need to do this or that as he's going off on Twitter. I don't agree. You know where I see a lot less spit putts? 
FPO. Coming in with less velocity. Coming in with less velocity. Our players throw so hard these days. And I don't blame them. Ricky did the same thing for years. There were so many times that we watched Ricky from like 2016 to 2020 just rifle discs from any distance, whether it was 80 feet or whether it was 20 feet. It felt like he had the same velocity. He would hit solid, and it would come straight back out because it would either hit the pole, it would hit the chains, it would hit a little high. And when you put that much momentum into a disc, there's a force that comes back. There has to be. It's physics. And it, it just pushes discs out. I'm, I'm, I'm done complaining about spit putts, I think. Uh, it just You need to know. You need to get it in the basket. That putt should have been seven inches lower. Now, is, are, you less, are you more likely to hit the basket there? Sure. If you putt seven inches lower, it gives you a much smaller variance in your miss. Because where he's putting, you've got six to eight inches above, six to eight inches below. Great. But you've also got all those inches in order to fall out. And so I'm, 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 I'm kind of done with the spit putt mentality. Put it in the basket, people. Okay. My take. That's, that's yeah. my take. And, and I'm not ripping on Gossage because we've seen spit putts like this, as people call them now, um, from a lot of players. We, we have, but he, here's where I vary from your take in that. Well, then you're wrong. Where <laughs> we, the, the definition or the usage of spit putt or a spit out or whatever, I feel like has been too broad of a stroke. I feel like every time someone hits a good amount of chains and it falls out, it's too easily yeah. to blurt out, oh, that was a spit or that was a good putt. No, because I'll say this. More often than not, you see a putt go in, it looks like a spit, and then when we run it in a replay or in a slow-mo, little left, and you look at it and you're high, like, okay, no, right. that actually was kind of high. Oh, more, I feel like high is, is often the miss. Well, there's le- and uh, high is usually the miss because there's less give on the chains up high than there is down low, so... Th- the the likelihood of it coming back is greater, I feel. Yeah. But when you play in replay, the naked eye sees sees a shot, and you're like, oh, wow, was that a spit putt, or that was spit, or that should have stayed. And then you watch it in replay, which mm, quite a few times we do see on the network. Mm-hmm. You watch it in replay, and you're like, no, okay, yep. Actually, that wasn't. I think our our, our just our definition is too broad. When I look at... Gossages, and this is, of course, no rip on any manufacturer or gossage. When I look at that putt, though, I feel like if you lined up what uh, we've considered 100 spit putts through the year, Mm -hmm. that might be the most likely to have stayed in or should have stayed in. That's that's on the top of the list of good-looking putts that I feel like could or should have stayed in. That's way up on the top of the list. There, I could find 99 oh, yeah. other putts I, that somebody have said, yep. that was a spit. I'm like, no, it wasn't. Yeah. Like, like, look at. I'm with you. Th- I'm, I'm with you in that aspect. But here's what I'll say. All aspiring pros out there, don't aim at the center of the basket. That pole doesn't move ever. It's concreted into the ground usually. Maybe it's a temp basket that's sitting on the ground. But it's not moving. So if your disc happens to hit that pole, guess what's coming back? Your putter. That putt should have been three inches to the right so that it didn't hit the center pole. 
It hit a majority chains, which had more give, which would have been more likely to fall down. If you hit a center putt, everyone calls it the heart of the basket, right on the pole. Bullshit. Not where you want to putt. I don't care who you are. You are risking fighting that pole. Remember the old disc catchers where the where the where the chains would part like the Red Sea, and it would. I remember Ledgestone had them where all the chains would sway together, and people that putted in the center, like Ricky, who was always so dead center, would hit that pole and come right back. Clunk. See, I I, that, I, I would rather put three inches to the right of the pole. Every I time. I hear you a in terms in. of going off center. I understand your logic and your physics there. My, I think better solution it's, is don't throw it so hard that, that it's too. drilling the pole. That too. I mean, I'm good with dead you, center. You want to be coming downward into the basket. I get that. And I understand that players these days, they've had the fortune of playing on these baskets like Mach 7s, Mach Xs, 28 chain baskets that just seem to catch almost everything. You grew up in an era where you had one link of chains and you were lucky if they were metal. <laughs> Sometimes they were plastic, you know, in some of the baskets we played. I, pl- I played a course, you and I played a course in Alabama where they literally had, um, it was like wire. It was wire wrapped in plastic. I forget what that's like. And it, it, they, were, they, they weren't chains. And that was the basket you played on. I just feel like the pole is a bad place to, it's a good place to aim, but you don't want to hit there. It's like looking down the fairway and seeing the one tree. Say, I'm going to aim at that tree, and if I get around it, that's great. And you hit that tree. The pole is a good reference point. You want to be just off of it. If you're a righty, be a little bit to the right. If you're a lefty, a little bit to the left. Not a, not a ton, but the circular disc is going to hit that. I, I don't. And, feel, and you're going to come just back. Just don't sometimes. putt it as hard. Like, that too. Try not to putt it so hard. But I get it because it, like, most of them don't hit. Like, there's a lot that won't hit the pole if they're just not thrown hard enough. Correct. Like, That's you have to throw it. it pretty damn hard to hit uh, the pole in the first place. I understand. That's why I don't have a problem with aiming but, for it. And I, you're and throwing I, it too hard if you're hitting the pole, and probably. I, and I get that. And it's difficult for players to change up their putt hitting it because the harder you throw, the probably the more straight it goes. We know that. Like, it's cool, and that's easy to then line up a putt as opposed to a softer putt where you're bluffing it in you you throw it nice and straight and hard and it's going right into the basket right to the heart you also risk hitting that pole like we said and so there's you're you're right there's two ways to do it aim a little off the pole throw it lighter both options will probably give you a, a better chance but i understand throwing it lighter is probably more difficult than my solution which is aiming just a little bit to the right so i'm i'm kind of over spit putts unless the unless the disc literally hits the bottom of the basket and comes out it's not a good putt to me anymore and and i'm i'm going to try i'm going to be the try to be the one to to push this in the world and it's yeah. going to be difficult yeah. i understand Go i'm going I'm to be in the minority 100% i agree everyone's going to look at that and go like yeah that should have stuck shoulda woulda coulda man shoulda woulda coulda and i feel bad for goose i i do i really feel bad for the guy because he did everything he could and probably, we're going to throw it in quotes, should have come out a winner. But that putt doesn't go in. If that putt does go in, who knows what happens on the other two holes. Then you're playing a game of what ifs. I get it. Goose is going to get one. He's too good not to. He's not going to lay a goose egg? He's not going to He's not going to get a goose hey, egg oh. in the wins column. Uh, also not laying a goose egg. Robert. Mm-hmm. 
I thought I was going to say Mahanahan. Uh, Mahana. Mahana. Robert Mahana. Robert, thank you for the super chat. I, I thank you, Robert. trying to uh, spit that out. Uh, thank you so much. <laughs> Terry in the chat says, JV's opinions are his and his exclusively. Yes. We, I, yeah. I, a full I, disclaimer. I, I will admit there's a disclaimer that these are my opinions. And yeah. it's my podcast with yeah. Terry. And yeah. I can make my opinions takes. known. He can do I, that. I can do it. I could go out on Twitter and do some hot takes. That's, that seems to be the place I've to got be. a great question for the after show for okay. us. Okay. You log it. Uh, Mahana. Yeah, Mahana. Yeah, Robert Mahana. Thank you. I, I was trying to throw a Hannah hand in there because we know a Bob Mahana. Uh, Bob, I don't know. I don't we know, know a Bob. Uh, maybe we don't know <laughs> we him. Don't, I know a guy. I know a guy that has a similar name. <laughs> and I was uh, immediately getting them all twisted up. Regardless, thank you for the super chat. Let's move overseas, Terry. You and I, we're going to pick up our oh, lives. Anybody we'll can win over there. Go over, oh, not anybody. Okay. Some people can't. Paul Macbeth can't win over there right Let's now. Let's have our highest finishing United States representative, Joey Tamale. Joey Tamale, call into the show. Uh, congratulations to Joey. Played a good weekend. You know, beats his friend, his documentarian, Paul Macbeth. Paul played poorly. And I, I don't know what to rack it up as. I don't know if it's just you could you could say travel, you could say lack of mm. practice on the course. You could there's a, I'm sure there's a thousand excuses that are out there. I don't know if any of them fit. I don't know if it was just a bad weekend. Everyone's allowed to have them. But Paul just did not perform. I think he took 21st or something uh, on the field. No. No? What did he take? That was closer to where uh Joey finished. Oh. I want to say Paul finished 30th. Oof. Uh, Sorry, Paul. Uh, you could just go to the Udisc Open, go to the, oh. Yeah, you could You could go do all those smart things. 31st. 31st. And and this is where we're, we're not picking on him in, in any serious capacity. We can, though, because I think he can take it. Uh, but but uh, unfortunately for him, this is a story. This is newsworthy. For a lot of people, this is no... You and I would be jumping through our oh. our skin with a 31st place finish in an international event uh, out of 100 and oh, some odd God Europeans. Yeah. Like, so look, we're, we're keeping that I'd hold that a podcast very... just for that. That night, yeah. I would come online. Johnny's just... 31st. <laughs> That's like, really? I thought you were older. No, no, no. I finished 31st. Would, I finished in the top 50. It would be a 50. whole separate podcast just <laughs> yeah, for me. exactly. So... Let's be very fair, but this, unfortunately for Macbeth, is absolutely news. He was the highest rated player there, and he performed. And one of the greatest of all time. And he performed poorly. And bad uh, week. By a lot, though. Like, yeah. here, and here's, here's the problem. And it's a problem with Paul, and it's a problem with some of our pros. I feel like once he's out of it, like once it's all or nothing, it's all or nothing. Once he realizes I'm not winning this. And that was probably after the second round when he looked at it and go went, I, I, I just can't get there. You know, cause the first round he was on the chase card, I believe. Mm, okay, maybe. And yes, he was, he was in eighth place or so shot an eight down. He was only three strokes out. And then second round. Oof. He comes shot up. nine sixty two golf. Yeah, 
And so at that point, what's there to play for for him? When he looks at that, when he looks at that scoreboard and says, "Not my week, not winning." Is there motivation for him to to fight back and get to tenth place? Yeah, I mean, I don't know. Maybe there is. Maybe he looks at that and goes, "God, I really fucked this up. I really screwed up today. I really needed to get to tenth place." Or does he not care? Does he just go like, he had the biggest crowd following? Yeah, was he out there? You know, making new friends, meeting locals, doing whatever. Not so much caring about the golf anymore. Maybe. I, I don't know. I'm not in Paul's head. I know he's a competitor. I know he's the probably the greatest player that we've seen. And we've seen a lot of them. I just feel like Paul has probably, and I'm speculating, loses some motivation when he's not in, poten- in contention to win. Certainly. Yeah, because at, at a certain point, it's all about, hey, I... W- if it's 11th or 9th or 7th or 13th, like none of those matter. It's I'm just going to try and shoot course record mm-hmm. and get myself back and play as good as that and take possibly all risks or all, uh, you know, throw all caution to the wind and just really not care. I'm going for everything. And we know that lots of times that pays off for him, but sometimes it doesn't. And clearly, this you know would have been one of those situations. So, uh, and simmer down in the chat uh, or elsewhere. Like I'm not. There's no mean spirit here. There's, oh. uh, but unfortunately, it is still very much a story. And it's not to tear Paul down, but when you're hearing people say, "Well, he hasn't performed well this year. He's going to go to Europe. Oh, he's gonna he's gonna wipe up it, in Europe." I said it myself. He's, yeah, he's it was going to be the Paul McBeth show in exactly. Europe. Exactly, and then to to see him not perform well at this event. Yeah, that's definitely a conversation. He's been overseas now for a while. He was in uh, Madrid, I think, yes. doing some stuff with the, the foundation. foundation. So I, I don't feel that you can really lean into a, a jet lag conversation. Uh, it, it's possible he's a human being and had a bad weekend. I, I, I'm not ripping on the guy for that. Um, it's just that he had a weekend that some... Was surprising to us. Yeah, that was because surprising, I think, to, I, to everyone. Probably even him as well. I predicted to a honest. top five for every event at the, in the European swing up until Sula. Uh, who knows? Sula is a bigger event. Anything can happen. But ultimately. But you know who did perform well at the Estonian Open in the MPO division? The same person. Were you here when we were talking about him? No. Maybe it was last week I was talking about them. Maury Vielman. He is on a tear. He's 1,009 rated, but he's been playing 1050 golf. So he's clearly on the upswing. This weekend, he went 1049, 1045, 1060. And, and Maury Vielman is someone I had never heard of before this year. His PDGA number is 107197. So that's six digits. I don't know another six-digit PDGA player. <laughs> well, you know other players. You just don't know their numbers. I don't know if I know any six-digit players, Terry. Okay. Um, but in general, Mari Vielman is on the EPT and European scene just killing it right now. And I don't see that stopping. If if I were to put some money down on the next big European player, it's got to be him. It's got to be his name. Just 
he's playing too well, if he's performing too well in Europe, not to. And if I were him right now, and I don't know his personal life, I would have to be thinking next year, pro tour. I, you have to. When you're winning as much as he is, he won uh, the EDGL, which, whatever, it's a B tier. Then he comes out and wins an A tier at the EPT number one. He takes fifth at the EPT number two. He wins the Prodigy the Prodigy Tour opener. He wins a, a little C tier Estonia Open Monday qualifier. And then he wins the Estonia Open this weekend. Just playing some phenomenal golf. And if you've been listening to Smashbox the last couple of weeks, you heard it here first. Yeah. Uh, unless touring, I feel like I heard this weekend that touring and playing here wasn't a concern of his. But yeah, and that, uh, could, that that could be. I, I could be dead wrong on that. Don't I take. Don't me. know his personal. Life. Um, for some reason, I I feel like I overheard that because his name was mentioned, yep. and then I I felt like it was followed up by that. If may or may not be a, it just a fe- concern to him. It just feels like if you're this good, not coming to as we'll call it the big leagues to try it out. It feels like a disappointment. Unless he's a brain surgeon and has bigger aspirations. Maybe he's making a million dollars a year as a brain surgeon, like you said, and this isn't a thing. But, I, I, yeah, it just, it's tough. I don't know. Okay, well, Jay is is clearing it up for us on the chat. He says, yep, the announcer says Maury will be uh, confirmed. He will be playing in the U.S. next year. So uh, he is listening to Johnny V. I just hope he learns, he takes some advice for your putts, his putts. That's right. I don't think he needs it clearly. Just a hair right of the of the of the uh, pole. That's what I'm saying. All right. Citizen also real quick says I thought DGN was covering this and I signed up no. uh, for the service. I was pissed. Uh, I no, there's signed up for disc golf stream then. Yeah, there's there's a number of events of course that are being covered over there. Uh, but check your as they check, say, your, check your local uh, check your local listings. Uh, yeah, not every single event large scale event that's taking place and also to clarify there's a lot of different tours and events that are happening over there so i can understand confusion but dig dig a little deeper and then also go to there are three tours real disc quick. golf pro tour and double check that's where it'll be listed what's being covered there are three three major tours in europe there's the pdpt which is the prodigy discs pro tour basically i think it's the finnish pro tour if you look at it there's the ET, which is the European tour. That's the PDGA-sanctioned, sponsored, official PDGA tour. And then there's the EPT. And the ET, the European tour, that one is being covered by the Disc Golf Pro Tour and a company called Pulsea. They're going to be kind of a subcontractor overseas. I know I talked to... Uh, a couple of the guys in the control room, they're going overseas to help them make sure that the that the quality is hopefully as as close to what our viewers are used to seeing here on the for our Disc Golf Pro Tour. Then there's the EPT, which is the European Pro Tour. I know it's a little confusing because we got the ET and the EPT. The EPT is the equivalent of what the Pro Tour was when we had the National Tour. It was a competing tour. The EPT is streamed on Disc Golf Stream. And if you look at, if you go to discgolfstream.com, 
There's a schedule as far as the events they're covering. The European tour is a different tour. So I understand it, it can be confusing because you think, well, it's Europe, Europe. But it's really no different than what we had three years ago here where you had a national tour and you had a this golf pro tour. And they're kind of going through those same struggles right now where they've got the European tour and the European pro tour. And right now the EPT is kind of the bigger tour. They've had the live coverage, I think bigger payouts. But I personally feel like the PDGA is trying to make up for that in Europe and promote the European tour more to kind of keep it competitive over there with the European pro tour. So I think you're going to see a power struggle a little bit with the tours over in Europe for the next two to three years, as far as who does what, and maybe we'll get lucky. I'll throw that in quotes and we'll get what the PGA just did with the live tour today. They decided they're going to combine and do a whole new entity. The live and the PGA got married today. Not quite officially. But you the, forgot about the SDGPT as well, the Swedish there Disc is, Golf Pro Tour. There is a Swedish Disc Golf Pro Tour, but I don't believe that's covered live anywhere. So I'm just talking mostly about the live tour. Because the PDPT, the Prodigy Tour, is also covered, going to be covered on Disc Golf Stream as well as the European Tour. So I understand, very confusing, but this particular event, the Estonian event, is not on the Pro Tour I believe the next couple that Paul plays are going to be on the European ET, which will be covered by Disc Golf Network. So just check your schedule. Look at what's going on. If it's an EPT event, no Disc Golf Network. If it's an ET event, yay Disc Golf Network. And I love the guys at the Disc Golf, uh, at Disc Golf Stream. Yuha, all those guys, they're putting on phenomenal stuff. Um, if you watch their... Their their coverage of this event it was it was pretty good. Um, obviously, you know it's not quite as polished as what we're seeing here in the states, but we've had a few more years on them, and I think they're gonna I think they're gonna start putting out a really good product, and they are putting out a really good product. I think they're gonna continue to improve their product. So, yeah, that's it's very confusing. Could you recap those for me? I'm just kidding. So there's the EPT. No. <laughs> All right. Yeah. So there's a lot of things going on. Obviously, movers and shakers. If there's and a then P, what if, here's an easy way to remember. If there's a P in the name of the tour. Yeah. There's a P in the middle of the tour. And it's in Europe, then it won't be on Disc Golf Network. <laughs> yeah. Thanks. Uh Derek, thank you as well for the super chat. We appreciate it. Uh yeah. Thank you for the super chat as you jumped on there. And I only, and the only reason I know all of this is because I had to figure it all out for skip base before the season mm. to figure out the different tours. So I could, because I, we do have players over in Europe that say, oh, I really want to have started, start a league with my buddies. And we really follow the ET or we follow the European tour. So I had to sit and figure all this out. Like, oh God, which events are which it was, a, it was a nightmare. And then I had to create like a unified European tour. That's kind of like our DGBT and silver events all combined. I mushed them together and took what I felt like were the best ones and just kind of that's the only reason I know all this detail about the European tours because I had to figure it out before the season. It wasn't much fun. No, I, I toned out for all of that. So I'll have to, and ask that's you okay. You'll ask me that later. later probably. I'll have to ask you about it later. Uh, conversation just taking place about the Czech Republic, Kona Piste. That's on one of the tours. Johnny just referenced. I have no effing idea which one, but uh, there is a, an event going on there at some point. Kona, Kona, uh, Panis? No, she's yeah. She's and I was just now. and I was gonna say uh, it doesn't appear to be uh, there. It is 
Kona Peach Day Open looks like June 16th through the 18th. So next weekend, it is taking place. It's on Udisc. I'm using that as a reference, too, because they have certain things that they cover. It's presented by Disc Mania, and it's in the Czech Republic. That's the course you're talking about, uh, the Kona Peach Day Open. Assuming it's at that, if they're hosting the Kona Peach Day Open at another course that's not that one, I feel like that would be insane. That'd be like saying, hey, we're going to go... We're going to go out to uh, uh, Boston area and not host an event at Maple Hill. Uh, they're just not on the and tour. The, and the Kona Peach Day is part of the Euro Tour. Sure. Just so everybody knows. it's You can go to pdgaeurotour.com to look at the Euro Tour. You can go to Disc Golf Stream and look at their schedule, and they have a schedule. I'm sure there's a uh, an EPT of uh, website, but I don't know it. I just go to Disc Golf Stream because they cover them all. Uh, if I was smarter, we would have thought ahead. I know that uh, Dinko is probably your tournament director for this weekend's uh, Pro Forester. And any of you that have been around for a few years know what kind of time uh, and experience you can have at the Drava Forester, which is a fall time event that takes place. Nothing like what will be taking place this upcoming weekend. But they are hosting an event. I saw both Macbeth and Silver uh, as two of the gentlemen that were there hanging out with the tournament director in uh, Dinko, uh, along with his sister Maya, I'm sure, were uh, uh, hanging out. So that's what's taking place this weekend over on one of those tours. Which What page were you just on a minute ago? Uh, PDGAEurotour.com? Is that a Eurotour event? Uh, oh, wait. I, I closed it. Sorry. Oh, okay. It doesn't matter. There's an event going on there. And that is in um yeah, the Pro Forester taking place this this upcoming weekend. Uh, their numbers are all backwards. <sighs> yeah, so it looks it's, like it's in September. I, I don't know. know. It does. <laughs> September eleventh uh, through the sixth. I'm not sure how those numbers work. <laughs> yeah. Uh all right. Holy cow. I am dizzy from all of that. It's it's a lot to take in. All right, I, I let's understand. let's take a look as we usually do. Uh, other A tiers taking place, uh, bigger events slash A tiers taking place uh, in the country this weekend. And I'll take a look at. Let's see if I can pull some up for you guys. Whoa, why aren't they all listed? RPM Open out of Norway. Out of Norway. That's really the only other A tier that was going on this weekend. All right. You got it? No, you got it, Terry. Oh, this won't be good. <laughs> I <know>. All right. <laughs> uh, I'm going to go with uh, Ronnie R. Taking it down. Congrats. Uh, why was my even my text so small? I think I'm getting old. Uh, Morton know. Brenna taking second. Blair Orn, uh, Blair taking third. <laughs> Tying Josef Berg. <laughs> Nailed it. Uh, th- those are your top three in the MPO. We usually cover top 10, Terry. <laughs> uh, it was a 51-person uh, MPO field. Uh, Anakin Stan taking first in FPO. Katrina Stalson taking second. And Solvig Steinberg, Stenberg taking third in FPO. So congrats to all of your top finishers over there in Norway. Really? That was it for you? No, there, there was... Uh, we talked about the, the Estonian Open and Marty Vilman winning that one. Yep. The other A tier, uh, I believe, is there is one in Sweden, and there's the oh yeah yeah Tennessee States. Yeah, there's that Tennessee the other States. Pro A tier taking place. I got this. All right, all right. Great sides taking it down. 
I think defeating Chris Dickerson for the first time in in Tennessee. What? Yeah. Yes. Uh, that I I've covered Braden. I know the guy's good. Oh yeah, but beating good Chris enough Dickerson to beat Chris Dickerson. That's newsworthy as well. Yes. I think Chris Dickerson has won this the last five years in a row. 50, is what I thought someone say that I thought I saw someone say or they renamed post. it to the Chris Dickerson Open. I heard. Yeah, the CDO. Uh, Chris Dickerson coming in second by a stick, as they would say. Logan Bowers in third. Dylan Seppala and Nate Hecker round out your top five. Congrats to them. On the FPO side, Natalie Ryan took it down. Uh, she won over Macy Valadez, who took second. And third, Taylor Kramer. Fourth, Ruth Hudson. And tying for fifth, Lauren Butler, along with Cadence Berg. Uh, oh, yeah. I guess uh, uh, the nine nine women. Chris Oreck is old enough, apparently, to play hmm. uh, MP40. So congrats to him. Hey, do we have... <laughs> Do we have a Schwebby tracker? I'm uh, sure. No, don't Schwebby care. won somewhere. Yep. Probably Light. twice. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So I'm just going to throw that out. If I'm wrong, just tell me I'm wrong. But I'm uh, the, the numbers and the uh, odds are in my favor in spitting that out for you. So. Well, let me look and see if he won something this particular <laughs> weekend. Uh, looks like June 3rd, which was this past weekend, the 15th annual No Quarter at New Quarter. He won with 24 points. He won a four-person field in MP40. He crushed the field by 11 strokes. Way to go, Schwebby. Uh, with win number 16,000. Win number 371. Yeah. So if there's a weekend, there's a win. That's Schwebby's motto. Yes. Uh, there you go. I should just favorite this. I am literally going to hit the star on this and favorite <laughs> this page. This is just Schwebby's The Schwebby, the Schwebby tracker. He's so. winning. Th- maybe to surprise... Of some of you, he's winning the Global Master Series right now. What? He's his first in that. Yeah, shocker. I thought that'd be you. Nope, nope. Haven't uh, played any sanctioned events or any events for that matter. All right. Yeah, as Robert says, I would have lost a lot of money uh, playing uh, betting against Dickerson. Same here, in Robert. Tennessee. I, I think I think almost everyone would, but uh, Braden. Yeah, pretty incredible. Uh, a cool story. At the Estonia Open in FPO, the winner qualified at the qualifier, and she's like rated like 870 or something. Comes out and performs, shoots some really good golf, and as a took it down, took it down as a phenomenal finish. So, congrats to her. Yeah, and and in all seriousness, also congrats to to Joey Tamale who had a good weekend yeah. in playing in that. Uh, as we were saying, your top finisher from uh from the usa so that's got to feel good for joey obviously he's out there touring doing some filming working with paul paul Macbeth foundation doing all those sorts of things and uh, joey who's from minnesota and had you know come up through the am ranks and then uh has cashed and played well in in other pro events has very much sidelined his professional golf playing to be within the media realm and so for him to go out and have a good weekend pretty cool to see uh, let's knock out some quick PDGA news. The PDGA Global Board of Directors Nominating Committee uh, completed a comprehensive assessment of the 13 self-nominated candidates, which included detailed reviews of cover letters, resumes, referral letters, background checks, and for the most qualified candidates, video interviews. And I think they narrowed it down to six players, or six people. I don't say called players. Jeff Hungerford, Adam Wright, Tim Petrea, Nate Heinold, 
Luke Turnbull, and James Koizumi. These are the ones that you will get to vote on. So if you're interested in learning about them, I believe the PDGA podcast has put out interviews with each of these players. Um, if there's something that was not addressed, and I'm not being, not joking, reach out to them individually and get some information. If there's something you want to know about a particular candidate, by all means, reach out. We are a small organization. They should get back to you, whether that's social media, if you have an email, try to reach out and see if you have a question about their uh, platform or anything like that. Get to know the candidates before you vote. Good call. Uh, Jeff is currently Jeff Hungerford, who is listed first, has PDJ number 688. Uh, is one of your current standing board members, As along with Nate Heinold. Nate so Heinold, yeah. two of them, incumbents, I think is the fancy word, right? That is a fancy word, and it's the right oh, one. Oh, and I nailed it. Yes, I'm, I'm learning. You're going to uh, be a political analyst someday, aren't pretty you? Pretty much. I, I'm, yeah, <laughs> I'm definitely on, on uh, track with that. So, yes, six, narrowed it down to six, to then uh, ultimately two positions are what's up for grabs. So... Uh, and if any of those people have things they'd like to share with us, certainly more than welcome to. Um, you, you know, throughout the various years before PDGA's own media was to the level where it is now, uh, we were happy to take on that. And if somebody does want to talk to us, we certainly can have that conversation. Uh, but the PDGA has also been doing a really phenomenal job of kind of sifting through those opportunities and making them available to the world as they should be uh, for the voting. Also, I believe if I overheard Tournament Central's very own uh, discussion with Hayden Henry talking about uh, Bob West Sportsman of the Year awards, those nominations, those types of things are up uh, and available as well. I believe so. I mentioned that last week, but yes. Yeah, good call. And then the PDJ has also approved a ton of new discs, uh, which you can find. I'm going to go, uh, for those that think we do research, we don't. We I don't. guess you probably don't think that. One of the things I don't <laughs> like is the DD from Discmania. Well, it's... It's not new. It says new in parentheses. Oh, that's funny. That's... It's the DD in parentheses new from Discmania. Oh, because there there used to be a DD one. Yes, and that's why the DD is new. Yes, yeah, so they they retooled. I'm assuming they retooled with the new uh, molds. They have to re. They have to get PDGA uh, permission, permission sanctioning, whatever the hell that approval approval. Thank you uh, for the discs. I, I understand. Like their name is Dynamic Discs. Everyone calls him DD. I would have come up with a different name. I, I I know it's petty. I know it's silly. I know it's small. It just like the, the term DD to me is so associated with dynamic discs that I would have just yeah. But it's it's been a it's been a staple or, of theirs for years. Then call it the DD one, which actually I think was what it was called. Then call it that. Don't call it the DD. I mm. just that it, it's a such a minor little thing for me. Call it the DD one or the DDA or the whatever. I don't know. I just don't like it. Don't like it. We'll reach out to the DD Dynamite <laughs> Dynamic Dynamite I, I, and let him know. I love Dynamite, but there. I don't think he's I don't think he's naming these discs. No, but he works there, so you should take it up with oh, him. Oh, I will. I'll take it up on Twitter cuz I'm friends with Dan on Twitter. There you go. And I'm going to take it up with him on Twitter. <laughs> Can we get into the juicy stuff now? Can we get into the stuff that everybody wants to talk everyone wants to hear us talk about? Eh, maybe. Uh, there's plenty of stuff I love to just not bother with anymore because they're beat to death. But uh, yeah, I, I, you you can 
lob one up, and we'll see if I take All a right. swing. Here's my softball, Terry. Disc stamping. Yeah, this. This is great. This is a social media thing. There was a quote from somebody who Mike worked, Krupika. Yes, who works. Who we know. He works for the PDGA? No, kind of just consulting. He's the state coordinator and probably sits on a committee or two. Okay. And, and I feel, I, who? you know, believe it or not, I don't like to talk about things I actually genuinely know nothing about other than what's been said on social. Mm-hmm. So I hate to feed the machine in that sense because I don't so- want to come off as uneducated <laughs> or truly not in the know. Because when I want to bring a take, I usually am in the know and then fire from that. Yes. But go on. Mike commented on a post about post-disc modifications from the manufacturer after it leaves the manufacturer. Because right now we've got companies such as retailers specifically, but even probably private individuals that are re-stamping or secondary stamping discs and whether or not this was legal. And his take, which is not PDGA official, his take is that additional stamps after the manufacturer could be called as illegal discs. Was that how it was worded, or are you digging into some of the follow-up? I'm digging into a little bit of the follow-up. Okay. But that it, it I mean, I'll, I'll have to dig up his particular post particularly, but because I was under the impression that it was stated as if this may be a new thing moving forward and that that that, oh. that this isn't his current position, but this is something they're looking to implement moving forward. Oh, I was under the impression, based on some things that I read, that as of right now, it could be considered an illegal disc because you've made a modification to the disc after the manufacturer of a significant, I, I forget the exact term, basically a, a Detectable thickness. Detectable thickness of the disc, and that if you, if you were to have a small stamper, which we know some people do, that puts maybe a, a small, under mini size stamp on a disc, you could be called for a violation of that disc because it's not ink that soaks in that has no detectable uh, thickness. That this has a detectable thickness. You're literally modifying the disc, and that this could be if considered post-modification and could be called as a rules violation. Let's just, let's just assume Terry that let's start with the assumption. And I'm sorry, Mike, if, if we got this screwed up, but let's just start with the assumption that this is well, Mike is the chairman of the PDG rules committee, according yeah. to Terry's uh, monitor right now. Let's make the assumption that that is the case, but go ahead and read what his, Again, I can't even validate that this is legitimately from him, but, but everything would make me think that it is, that there. It, this was screenshot and, and shared throughout the weekend largely. Uh, Mike Krupika, who, who I know personally, he lives just uh, within a half hour of us. He's just over the Illinois border. He's also we a state coordinator. Him. Yeah, he's also the state coordinator and does a ton of work in a lot of different capacities. Yes. Um, so I, I just want to give a little background to him. He's all, for what it's worth, he's PDGA 28238. So uh, has been around for a while. And as what was posted on the world uh, to the world says, post-production changes to a disc are limited. You can use an ink or dye which absorbs into the plastic to add your identification or other graphics to the disc. You may not use any techniques which changes the thickness 
of the plastic at any point or adds a material to the surface of the disc. Hot stamping done by someone other than the manufacturer would be adding material of detectable thickness. So to me, this sounds like he is speaking of what's happening right now. So if you get, we'll just say, let's just use infinite discs as a, as a, uh, uh, an example. If they get a bunch of Innova discs into their store, their retail area, and they want to hot stamp them, that Innova sends them a bunch of blanks. Of the Emperor. The Emperor. Which is molded at Innova. That's well, well I, Right. I mean, I, it, that's where you're going with this, right? No, it's I, technically it, manufactured by Innova. Not, not where I was going. Okay, but, go on. But that, you could look at that. But even if they sent them a bunch of blank rocks, an Innova disc that okay. then they stamped, that could be considered illegal. Because once it leaves the manufacturer, now the, the question is, for something like the Emperor, is kind of where I was getting, technically, who's the manufacturer? Because it's an infinite disc's disc, so are they allowed to do that before they sell it? At what point does it become? If, Terry, if you order a bunch of blank rocks, or Athenas, or, or Mavericks. Unst- unstamped or, DD discs, like I un- just ordered. And you have a small stamper, are you allowed to do that? According to this, it it states that you're not because, now because are, are you technically you're not the manufacturer, no. but you're a reseller. So Correct. what is Infinite Discs? Well, are they the manufacturer of the Emperor? Kind it's of an Infinite Disc manufacturer. Well, I mean this, but exact they're not same, the one. Doing this is it. the exact same scenario with I don't know all of Discmania right now. Discmania doesn't make the, those discs. Yes, they do. They've got their own warehouse. Overseas, that they, uh, they own. do, they do now. I, they you're do, correct. Pre, now, uh, a year ago, they did. Two years ago, correct. Dynamic doesn't manufacture their own discs, but they are the manufacturer. They are considered the manufacturer based on the PDGA's webpage. When, when they get the discs approved, it's approved under Dynamic Discs. So when they get a sheriff in, it's blank, and they want to hot stamp at their facility. They look at that, and that's a dynamic disc sheriff. Now, did they actually mold it? No. Well, that, that, but they're, that's quote, where, unquote, the manufacturer. So that's that's why I think the word manufacturer it's, carries a connotation it, I, and, a, and a lot of weight It's very here. confusing. Yeah, it carries a connotation and a lot of weight. If you look on the back of a now, and again, I, I'm thinking even a few years yeah. ago versus today, if you look on the back of an emperor, it will say emperor on there. Mm-hmm. And it was molded at an Innova, by an Innova machine at an Innova factory on the West Coast and an Innova plant. I guess that's where we can argue, someone could argue, who's? probably lawyers, about who's <laughs> a manufacturer and who's not. Now, I had just a year ago, not even a year ago, had ordered blanks which are first of all not very common that's a whole nother conversation but ordering blanks is rare that it's even offered or uh, offered to most retailers or to individuals but i did at one point dynamic recently had a sale where they said you could order some blanks that had no stamp on them whatsoever Uh, they were dynamic discs and i ordered them and then hot stamped my own logo on them this golf guy logo smashbox logo uh, whatever stamped onto a disc 
by reading this by the letter of the law, if you're reading this literally, yeah, that would say that that's technically illegal. You will be thrown in prison. Okay. My, I understand the concept. My thought is, how the hell do they know? How the hell there's would you know? No, there's, there's no, there's, I, I feel like it's a, it's an unenforceable rule and that nobody would ever call you for it. And no one will ever know that whether or not Terry got the stamp, whether he had a mini stamper at his house and stamped them all, or whether that stamp came from the manufacturer. So some, somewhere someone could reasonably deduce when you, for instance, have a I'll, I'll just use the example of a discraft force with the discraft force logo on the front of it and you flip it over on the back it has a different stamp that says um adam hammis on it and it's an adam hammis stamp with a little design of a sledgehammer and it's it's a hot stamp that's been put on there one could reasonably deduce that that didn't come you if you knew Adam or you knew the situation, you could reasonably deduce, hey, that was a post production scenario. That came from somewhere else. That mm-hmm. wasn't Discraft. Discraft could do it, but let's just say you looked at it and you're like, Oh, Discraft doesn't do yeah. that. You could then say, Hey, this disc is was done elsewhere. Yeah. You're still making an assumption at that point. The 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 per, the accuser is still making an assumption. Discraft could have done it. But there's a pretty good chance that they didn't. So other than making some assumptions, there's no way that you could you could verify that. Agreed. Which is one of the reasons. So I guess the question is, where where is this, other than realizing it's essentially unenforceable, where does this go? What what happens from I, this? I don't and think And is this anything anywhere. new? No, I don't think so. No, no. The rule hasn't changed in years. And I don't think there's any way to enforce this. I don't think personally that this will go anywhere i just feel like it's just really funny that this popped up on the socials this week and i I saw it in a few different places i think i saw it on reddit saw it on twitter and maybe even facebook at one point and it's it's very it's a very fine line between modifying a disc and 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 hot stamping i mean I don't know, to be honest. I don't think it should be enforced. I don't think it should be looked at. I don't think that, you know, it's not very often I say, I look at a rule and go, yeah, don't enforce this rule. But it seems so minor. And, and because well, here, there's, here's, so much, there's so much variations in discs in general that, you know, we all know that you could take two, two discs that came out right after each other and they look identical. One gets a full hot stamp covering the entire top of the disc. One gets an itty bitty hot stamp, just the size of your thumb, just someone's initials. Maybe they a custom stamp. That's going to very well, slightly change the flight of those discs. Well, like within so that vein, cares? within that vein, what about the conversation of, let's just say someone's getting actually really creative and is finding different foils or stamps that they're putting on them. Or is stamping it multiple times mm-hmm. and to the point where it does it does have some kind of impact. Let's say you reached out to because there's fo- hot stamping is not exclusive to disc golf. Let's just throw that out there. Hot stamping's used it in a lot of different industries. 
But let's say you have a hot stamp and you get a foil that somehow has some metallic like mm-hmm. uh, properties to sure. it. Sure. So your putter is you've covered every inch of that disc that you can with this hot stamp that has some metallic like properties or magnetic is a better word magnetic like properties that are drawn to uh, you know the, the metal poles and the baskets that we're throwing you. As you said earlier, we're no longer throwing out a pole. We're throwing three inches right. But anyway. To the right hand. Yeah, of course. (laughs) It's only drawn to chains. It's not drawn to a pole. That's right. You find a stamp that does that. Or here's maybe one, and buckle up, because if you're not older, you don't know this. For a little while, at Discraft, they had stamped many times over on some sides of some putters and if you stamp it enough times, you can create a completely different texture oh, on the disc. Yeah. They called it lizard skin. That's right. I remember that. Lizard lawyer, Mark Ellis. Look him up on the YouTubes and the Facebooks. He, at one point, they had stamped, and I, I, I don't have a disc in front of me. They had stamped edges of the disc over and over again to the point where you can truly manipulate how a disc feels. So whether it's in in heat or in cold or or the very or or rainy conditions, you have a completely different texture. And at one point, hmm. at one point, Discraft put a little oval like sticker, we'll call it for lack of a better yes. term, on the disc. And I forget with technology, somebody who's old enough can tell us. They put like a little rubberized sticker that went on the disc. And they offered, it was like a no-slip grip technology, whatever determining it was. I have some discs with it. And they tried those on discs for a little while. You don't see them anymore, but there's so many other conversations that then need to be had about the legalities of it. And and with this, is the PDGA trying to stop somebody, you taking your favorite putter or your favorite driver and saying, you know what? I want to stamp it 23 times in this one spot because that's where I'm going to grip it. That's where my forehand goes. That's where my thumb goes. And I want to stamp it, which is legal or illegal, but I want to stamp it and it's going to create a totally different texture. I think that's what they're trying to avoid somebody taking it to that level. I could understand that. I totally could. I just feel like we, it's so difficult to enforce. It feels to me it almost feels like the jump putt rule. Nobody can enforce it because nobody knows for sure. Unless you go back and look at it and in slow motion. And that's how this feels to me. There's the same kind of thought and rule to say, hey, guess what, everybody? You can't hot stamp after it comes from the manufacturer. Uh, but as as we know, the discs that are approved aren't approved with hot stamps on them. Yeah. So it, it it is a silly conversation, but that's what we're meant for. That's why we're here. Yeah. We're here to have silly uh, conversations. Uh, Andrew, Aaron. Well, first, again, shout out to Robert Manahan for the $4.20 super chat. He says, Terry Miller, everybody. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, Aaron, uh, Andrew Heron says it was called the Ultra Grip, and I don't have any here. Is there I any do chance not, you I have do any? not have any Ultra Grip. I don't believe I ever They literally, any. I'd love to know the exact timing of it or for how long it was. Mm-hmm. They were putting a, and it's crazy because you could actually peel it off if you really worked hard enough. You could peel it off. It was a a gel like yeah, I, re- I remember thing, it. and I it was like very short lived. So. 
It was very short lived, and I'm I I wonder if that would ever make a comeback. But yeah, I do have some of those, and uh, I th- I'd have to really dig them out. I was going to say I'd love to make a post about it and talk about it. Anyway. So, yeah, that's what's happening. Somebody else said glow tape legal to leave on a no. disc. No, not no. in a sanctioned situation. It's funny. I went out to a league uh, with some buddies. Or I didn't. I went out and saw some buddies at a league, and it was a non-PDGA league, just to be f- fully transparent. But they all had glow tape still on their discs from when they played a week before or two months before or whatever. I'll admit it's a real pain in the ass to remove glow tape off of a disc to then only put it back on, you know, a week later when you are playing at night. Uh, but anyway, long story short, glow tape is not allowed to be left on a disc. Uh, for PDGA-sanctioned play, 99% of the leagues you play in that aren't sanctioned no one's gonna won't care. probably care. But no, you are not allowed to leave glow tape on a disc. So what's really frustrating is I only play one or two events a year, <laughs> three or five. One of them happens to be a glow event. It might not be four or six months before I touch my disc again. And when I do, I'm sitting there peeling off the, the glow tape that I used. Um, but no, not not legal. Ryan says, disc approved aren't approved with a Discraft sticker on the inner room, but you can't put your own stickers on a disc. Totally agree. It's There's there's some interesting, funny gray zone. And maybe maybe as this conversation has popped up and hit the mainstream of disc golf in oh, the last few days, yeah. This might push the rules committee to make a few clarifying, uh, clarifying uh, statements on it because a lot of people then bring up not only the disc weight sticker that you can find on a lot of discs uh, from Discraft, but then also the little usually white sticker that you find on a lot of discs, which is to prevent discs from vacuuming and sucking to one another when you get a whole stack of discs. And those are on a ton of discs. And there's always an argument as to whether or not those can be left on a disc or not because it's coming from the manufacturer that way. So, yeah. Like you said, will someone ever know if they're, if they get a, a Smashbox disc from us, I can tell you right now, we have some Smashbox discs that were stamped post manufacture. So if you get those I'm, and you play with those, you are a one badass. You are because not only are you getting a Smashbox disc, but then you're playing with it. You're a rebel, and you can just rub it in everyone's faces. Yeah. Look at me. So, all right. So that was very much a conversation this weekend. And uh, do these conversations happen? And I don't know if you know on the course with players. Like, do you ever, ever overhear them kind of talking about this? Or? Uh, well, yeah, that's where that's where I think about, like, why I asked Adam at, in the show, like, if this happens. And, yeah, I think they do still have these conversations. It may or may not be happening during the actual competitive round, but I wouldn't be surprised if it did. You get the right group together. Sure. And someone's like, hey, I could see someone saying, oh, is, did you stamp that? <laughs> you know, or. <laughs> You know, yeah, I could absolutely seeing that happen uh, when they they're in tune with what's going on on the on the socials. And clearly, one of the other big debates throughout the weekend that was really more at the beginning of the weekend and died throughout, I think, was just the overall distance of this course that was talked about uh, in a lot of different ways. But then, conversation about you know Maria making a post about distance and Drew Gibson having a post about distance and then just overall conversation that unfolded about the course we heard from Adam we heard from 
AB as to whether or not distance was a major concern. Carefully, you're almost going to step on my after show question. Oh, great. So it was all talked about. Uh, Tim says, damn, begging those steadies now and playing Rage Against the Machine on my Bluetooth speaker. <laughs> uh, the steadies that Listen, are, are recent uh, Patreon support disc did come from the manufacturer, even though they weren't manufactured by DGA. I guess they were for someone's who knows they were. Yeah. They were produced at the disc craft factory. Dun, 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 dun. Uh, dust. Uh, it says people were complaining about the distance, but Skogin, that's Skogin's. Wow. I just said that Scoggins and Corver took top three. Well, two points to that real quick though. Uh, Corver's, Corver's not a slouch no, in the she, distance department. She she's got still pretty good distance. Consistent. It's not elite level, but her distance is Clearly still pretty it is good. <laughs> she was took top at an elite event. Uh and um so that's what I would say about that. And I don't know if it's a matter of like the distance. I, I would I would the reason I respond to that is I don't know if the distance was that it was unfair necessarily to players, or if that's the angle I would go with it, is just if it's just too much distance for the sake of being too much distance. That, I think, to me, is more of the, is the conversation to be had. Um, you know, the safety of the players, you know, those types of things. Is it just too much in general? Not is it just giving somebody uh, a huge advantage? That wasn't where my angle is. My angle is, is it just too much distance in general? to have our players doing their practice rounds and then doing their their four rounds of the event coming off of other big events and going to their next event. I, I, I'll borrow the term from Seth Muncy of Disc Golf Strong, the pitch count. Are we seeing more injuries because these players are playing two two courses in practice, learning two courses, and then going out and playing their four rounds Think about the distance covered mm-hmm. and the stress and the strain on the body. That's where I come at it, not from a, hey, uh, Ella Hansen clearly loves this course because she throws far and own doesn't. That That's not my angle. My angle is their overall health and safety and well-being of the players and is more distance required. I talked a little you, bit about You that. understand how those, yes. like, those are two different trains of thought that both could be had. I talked a little bit about it last week. I honestly, from a viewer's perspective, I don't mind this distance. I I wouldn't care if it was 20,000 feet, if it's a good course. Okay. But players need to maintain their own health. If if, let's just play, pretend we had a 15,000-foot course. Uh Should Anthony Barella, Adam Hammes... Paul Macbeth, Calvin Hubbard, should they be playing the next week? I don't know. Probably not. Mm. Like, True. But it's up to the player to decide. Nobody is forcing any player to play the week before or the week after. True. And whether you like it or not, I understand it's tough to make ends meet on the road. You might feel like you have to. Playing, playing disc golf is a luxury. It's not brain surgery. No one's living or dying by what we do on the course. You, you need to be... You need to pick and choose what's works best for your health. If you know, we're seeing with Eagle McMahon who yeah. who is injured right now. It's a shoulder injury again. We don't know if it's related to this old shoulder injury. We don't know if it's a new one. We don't know 
what's happening. But there's a chance that Eagle isn't is not built to play every week. That that could just be his body. Not if he wants to throw if, at the power in which correct. He can. Sure. Exactly. Maybe he needs to. Maybe his personal body says, "All right, I can play elite events. I'm going to skip every other event. I won't play Beaver State. I won't play Cascade. I won't play uh, Zoo Town." I will play just the elite ones. My body needs rest. Maybe if you're Ezra Aderhold, and I'm just going to throw him out as an example, his body says, cool, or Adam Hannes, or Anthony Barella. Pick a body type. I don't care. I don't think it matters. Maybe, they're, maybe they are built to play every week. I mean, think about 30, 40 years ago and pitchers in the Major League Baseball who would pitch 100 pitches a game. 120 and then they come back out four days later and do it again we just don't see that anymore because people we learn more about the bodies now you've got people taking pitch counts at like 60 70 and they're getting pulled and then they're not pitching for five days i don't know the right answer but what i do know is i don't think every person is built to perform every week you need to look at your body and make the right decision. No one's forcing you to play. Not a single person is holding a gun to your head and saying, you have to play every event. If if someone were to play DDO, and let me, look at Chris Dickerson. He takes weeks off, or he plays shorter courses and shorter events. Yeah. He's not out there always throwing the 10,000-foot the, the courses. I'm guessing that his Tennessee State, his Tennessee course was probably eight to 9,000 feet. I dig just a, a guess. I don't know. But all I know is everyone needs to learn what they do from their bodies and make the right adjustments. It's not the pro tours problem. If they're putting up events every single week that are 10,000 feet, it's up to the player to decide what they want to play. So take that for my opinion, what it's worth. Uh, Yeah. And uh, as the board's calling for it, it'll be interesting to see if Eagles next step does have is surgery or not uh, clearly neither of us are qualified to speaking on anything uh, in terms of what may or may not be going on but uh, clearly disc golf is better when eagles playing and healthy and is competitive yeah and i want to see eagle we, play. we wish him the best and uh, i think that could be said of all our players and and i as we move on it is obvious that you will see players be more diligent in their decision making about either course or course style or just actual participation and say, you know what? I've learned f- four weeks in a row is my absolute max. And, and they have to position a break sometime before or after that four weeks and, and so on and so forth, or three weeks or five weeks, whatever it is, it's going to be different for every player. Some of them are going to learn a hard and steadfast number of, I just simply can't go blank amount of weeks in a row mm-hmm. and and they're going to they're going to learn to stick to that. The other thing I was thinking is for like this Portland of Portland course, I know it's very long, but once again, no one is forcing you to throw max distance. If if you want to instead instead of throwing on a 600 foot 650 foot hole, instead of trying to go 500 and then 100, maybe dial it down and and you might not win. Yeah, but you might outlast the competition for the season. Maybe you're fresher later in the season. 
have to know your body and you have to react and take care of it. Yeah, and it was Paige who said at OTB that she wasn't throwing 100% uh, for for many of her shots and or most of her shots or any of her shots, however she worded it. And I don't think she was quite throwing 60% like she claimed. I think she was throwing a little harder than that because uh, or some of her 60% shots were, were still going over, you know, 4, 450 or whatever it was. But regardless, she was intentionally backing off, and that kind of leads to exactly what you were just describing. So, all right. Mm, is there any other big takeaways out of Portland? Uh, I guess my the other hot, one of the other, I don't know how hot of a topic it was, was just the fact of, majors elite series pluses is this stepping on toes is this in the right direction do we need this elite series plus distinction do we need it no is it okay to have sure my take so elite series plus and majors in the pro tours eyes have the same value 150 percent yeah points wise points wise from the pdga's perspective this Elite Series event doesn't mean any more than an Elite event. Okay. Yep. But I can understand the perspective from the Pro Tour. They want to be, they probably want to be in control of, more in control of their tour standings. And this gives them that opportunity. They're less reliant on the majors because they don't control the majors. Mm. And from their perspective, if if you can build the branding and establishment of elite series plus events and you you tell everybody they're worth the same as majors maybe someday people think of them as majors i don't think we're anywhere near that it will take years and years to build upon something like that but from a from a dgpt perspective i can totally see that why wouldn't they want to make their events feel even if it's just the players or maybe to spectators feel like a major feel like it has the weight of a major even even if as media we don't feel that way, we stay. No, we got four majors. We're good. The Pro Tour doesn't care about that. Well, then the follow up to this is: Do you feel like events will aspire to to evolve into or graduate or bid to be an Elite Series Plus event? Do you feel like we now have this this ladder of silver? Elite Series, Elite Series Plus, or, or somewhere in there you put in a playoff, which has more points but isn't considered a plus event, I don't think. No. Uh, but, yeah, it's just like a plus event. It's not like a plus event. The playoffs, I don't believe, have. The, the playoffs just have a different registration perspective where you have to get they qualified have, but, for but it. But I don't think they're 150%. I'm not sure on that. Anyway, anyway, and then you have made like think of how many layers we're now yeah. going, and is that good or bad? I guess is really the bigger question. It's confusing, yeah, but that I, I agree I, with. I don't know good or bad. I believe there's only two Elite Series Plus events this year. Tim, who asked on the board, it's Portland and Ledgestone. The other ones are playoff events, which are which is um, uh, the, the the Michigan event, uh, the D Glow, D Glow. Thank you. And MVP. Those are playoff events, and those are limited based on registration. I didn't think that they changed for points, but maybe they do. Maybe maybe they're 150 as well, 150% points. It's, gosh, who knows? But do I think that events will 
strive to be elite series plus. I, and if they're all plus, does then, then it doesn't matter. I, yeah, then it doesn't matter. I mean, if if everyone's special, no one's special. Um, I don't know. One of the questions I'd love to ask Jeff Spring. And the funny thing is, I could call him at any given time, but it would feel awkward. How much longer are we going to have events that aren't run by the Pro Tour on the Pro Tour? Because right now, Maple Hill not run by the Pro Tour, but yet Portland is. Portland is, an, is, is a Pro Tour event. It's run by the Pro Tour. It's run by Pro Tour employees. You know, five years? In five years, would you be surprised if there was not an event that isn't run by the Pro Tour itself? Maybe with the exception of Maple Hill. I was just going to say, I don't know. It, it's, it's conversely Pro Tour, or I'm sorry, Ledgestone isn't run by the Pro Tour. It's run by Nate Heinel. Correct. All, all of the events, except for Portland. Uh, no, I, technically Smugs, I think, is run by the Pro Tour now. Even though Smugs, I don't think, is on the tour this year because it's a Worlds. But when it's run, it's run by Jeff Spring. It's run by the Pro Tour, basically. You argue if you want if Jeff well, Spring is running that. basically becomes an important word there. I, I don't think it does. I believe it's run by the Pro Tour. And think of OTB. Run by Sean Jack, who works on the Pro Tour. How you, also Sean Mercy, but and Sean Mercy, yes, he doesn't work for the Pro Tour. Does not work for the Pro Tour. I am curious as to if the long term plan is to, in the Pro Tour's eyes, and I, I guarantee you what the, I know what they're going to say because it, it's it would be a stock answer. Of course not. We love all of our we love all of our, our partners. partners and this and that. But you have to think why wouldn't the Pro Tour want to be in control of every one of their events? Well, it's because they're as they expand, they'll have that opportunity. Assuming they continue to expand, wouldn't it just make the most sense? We've said this about the PDGA for years. God, they should really have a marketing person that's really working with all the national tournaments. They should really have this. Why wouldn't the Pro Tour just do that? They already have a marketing team. Why wouldn't you just start to take control of events? Maybe next year, uh, we'll just uh, Wild Horse isn't on the tour. Maybe it's a different event. And guess who's running it? Jeff Spring or Evan Shipper, or Brian Cole, or uh, Mahmoud Barani. I don't know. Pick somebody. Who, at what point, it just, I, I look at this and I think, this just makes sense. It make, and It's difficult, because it's difficult to be a, re, we've said it forever, regional people have a better chance of getting regional sponsors. You're not going to get that local subway to be your sponsor if you're, Probably Sean Jack. You're not going to go to them and say, hey, we got this big event. You want that local person who knows the owner. But as we get bigger and we get bigger sponsors, national sponsors, do we need the local regional 7-Eleven? Yeah, I, I feel, I, I, I don't know. I, I don't well, know. sponsors are one, just one component of it. I think the bigger component, and I, was, I kind of just echoed on the board, something about you, that local representation is who does a lot of the major organizing and and putting on of the event. The Pro Tour seems to work fine did in Portland. a ton of work in Portland, which happens to be where Brian Cole, who's a significant factor of the Pro Tour and a significant um, uh, employee of the Pro Tour, yeah. that's his where his roots happen to be too, I, right? Mm-hmm. Smugs, as you just used that example, clearly is Jeff Springs' roots. Mm-hmm. When you go to... 
Las Vegas and none of the Pro Tour employees have had roots in Las Vegas, there's a hundred other obstacles and hoops to jump through that are being taken care of by the, you know, Jaqua events industry. I'm not saying it's easy. Or Peoria. Could you imagine going to Peoria and doing what's being done at the Peoria level when Nate Heinold's not the one heading that up and solidifying all of those contracts and all of those things that are happening in Peoria, or the fact that you know Nate Heinold is the one going to Eglo to organize everything in Discraft's backyard to host the event, as opposed to it's it's I I see where you're coming from, but I don't know that I just think if that, you have good partners, because if they're not a good partner, then you're just you don't have them on the tour. Mm-hmm. If if I'll say Nate Heinold didn't play nice and didn't cooperate and didn't intermingle as well as he did with the pro tour, the pro tour would say, that's great. You keep hosting your event. You're just not going to be a stop on our tour. And Nate Heinold could go his way and the pro tour could go their way. Having that local partner, it's, I feel like you don't need to take it on. Cause if they're a bad, if they're a bad partner, if they're a bad local host, you just don't have the event with them moving forward. I just feel like the pro tour in the long run, again, this isn't a short-term solution because I, I feel like it's a very, very difficult. Is going to want more and more control over their events. More and more. Why wouldn't the tournament director be part of the Pro Tour and not Nate Heinold? Why would, like, I'm not saying you're not going to work with local groups. You probably still will. I just feel like and we might be a decade away from this. But, that, that, if the, that if the Pro Tour continues to grow... I feel like it will become more and more events that were started by the Pro Tour, run by the Pro Tour, and and progress on for the Pro Tour. I think I think in the next ten years we're going to start to see some of these events that maybe weren't Pro Tour events start to shuffle off. And again, we're talking a decade, so step back with us at episode nine hundred, and we'll see if I'm right. Make a note uh, and, and, and see if that's the case. Maybe it goes the other way. I don't know. I just, I look at, I look at it from a pro tours perspective and I think, why wouldn't I want to have more control over the events? Because, Even if it's a pain in the he, ass. Here, because in here, here would be my biggest reason why you see a place, not UC Marasma, but you see a place like Eagles Crossing. You see a place like Maple Hill and you see a place like uh, Okani that's going to happen down there in South Carolina. These these insane pro- North Cove, right, at the Blue Ridge Championships. You see these people investing in these properties to create the greatest courses and the best lands and the best venues and the best opportunities in the world. A lot of them will be personal investments, and you see them create them, and then it's only obvious that a big event is there Rather than the pro tour coming in and running it, you're still gonna have you're still gonna have that local be the face and be the event organizer. I'm because, saying they'll probably work with them, but I, I just foresee a day when every tournament director works for the pro tour. I guess I guess in, in contrast to that, I guess maybe another way to reword that is the pro tour can't go host an event at Maple Hill without Steve Dodge being on board. Mm-hmm. They could go host possibly an event at at Wild Horse because it's a public uh it's a public entity 
where somebody with the, the right money can show up and then go rent the property. They could step around Jeff Jaquar. That's yeah, that's my point. They can't step around the guys that own North Cove. They can't step around nope. the people that own and run Maple Hill. They can't. There's just certain entities but you and could certain courses. Just rent out the course. Hey, Steve Dodge, here's well, sure five hundred thousand dollars. We'll we'll take this course for the weekend or whatever that magic number is. Yeah, um, sure, they could. I, and, I, I, j- again, but I think at that take point, I, I also though feel like you're we're just splitting hairs, and, and the reason is if they're going to come in and run it. And do all the things they want to do. Yep. They're bringing in. My idea is they're bringing in all the sponsors. They're, they're running the event. The only thing they're basically not doing is getting volunteers. That you're probably going to have a local set of volunteers. And or course development, though. Course uh, changes. and my, my guess is, just like the PDGA did, does for majors, you send someone out there. Guess what? Hey, Christine Jennings, you're going out to... You're going out to uh, uh, Maple Hill, even though Maple Hill, as we all know, is the perfect course. And you're going to oversee the course changes for the next three weeks. You're going to make adjustments. You're going to make changes. You're going to look at it. You're going to make sure that they do everything that, the way we want it at the Pro Tour because it's our event. We don't want to have to rely on a local person that maybe we don't have 100% say in. Because the last thing I think Jeff Spring is going to want to say someday is, eh, and it it comes back to the baskets again. Cool. Guess what? Maple Hill has MVP baskets. What happens in a year when that when the PD, when the DGBT says we've got our own baskets? Uh, and Maple Hill says, "Cool, we've MVP baskets. They're a sponsor. They've paid for this for the next ten years." DGBT says, "Yeah, but you just signed an DGA for five hundred thousand dollars." You know, we're gonna have some butting heads. Yeah, maybe, maybe that I, I, that, that I think, could that could be the wedge that separates it. I, I'm I'm just saying that it makes sense to me. I know I'm repeating myself. The Pro Tour runs it. It creates l- probably less headaches. It could create other ones. More control on their side. Out of sheer ignorance, I'll ask. Just most of my questions. My, my no, an- some, and some, my sometimes they're leading. Uh, no, but this one out of sheer ignorance. Who? And it's not a fair comparison entirely, but who runs the Waste Management Open? Oh, I don't know. Is that is that a not uh, is that an entity in Phoenix that is one hundred because because that's a stop on the PGA Tour? Is you know or 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 look at well, I think I used to know the person that was maybe in charge of running. The Greater Milwaukee Open. That was a stop on the PGA Tour here in Milwaukee. It was not run by the, the PGA, right? The, the Thunderbirds are an organization that run the Waste Management Open. So, is, but, uh, but what is that comprised of? Is that I, I don't I don't know. So anything. I mean I and, and I guess that's my whole point is. That's a stop on the PGA Tour when that first came to mind for some reason. That's a stop. Because right now, right, our Masters, the the Masters is probably most similar to like a Maple Hill, right? That sure. Where it's, it's owned and operated by an entity and it's a stop. Portland, as you're saying, is very different because Portland is, 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 self-made from within the the disc golf pro tour i think we'll and i'm saying i think we'll see more of those okay uh maybe 
it, it's going to come down to the land and the courses that get used and then who has the rights and or access to that land mm-hmm. because the pro tour may never have the right number where they say, hey, Steve Dodge, we actually don't want you here this weekend. We just want to rent Maple Hill because we're going to run an event here and you're not involved at all. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I just don't see a world where that happens or too many I, venues that say, yeah, that sounds good. Just write me a check. Oh, I, I think because oh, they're not going to write a check that's big enough for somebody to say, no, I don't want to have any part of it. I disagree. I hundred. I, I would get Steve Dodge on right now and say, <laughs> Steve Dodge, what's the number? <laughs> What's the number for a weekend for, for you for to for you event. to disappear to leave leave the state leave the leave sure. the state and we get, take and we the get weekend off and we're just going to utilize your course. Well, you had Steve a million dollars for a weekend and he he hides. But was the out. pro tour going to pay that? Someday they may. No. I I disagree. We didn't. I I someday that could happen. What do you think it costs to rent out Brown Deer Golf Course for a weekend? The entire golf course here, like um. Three miles per It's hours. just not a sustainable model to do time and time again. They paid probably some mean? crazy if, if, amount to use Glendivere this weekend. I, if, I don't know if, what the number is. I'm sure it was a lot. If you're bringing in waste management, again, this we're talking a decade. If you're bringing in sponsors that are giving you three, four, five million dollars a year and you have a couple of them, that, that makes the most sense. You don't think Steve Dodge is going to put... Walk away with the biggest smile on his face when he says, dude, I just rented out Maple Hill for a weekend for a million dollars or seven hundred thousand dollars. I disagree. I think there is a there, if they, I think if they a were number, willing to pay it, he'd take it, sure. Yeah. But you, there's a number. There there and is, maybe, but maybe it's not practical high. or sustainable to be happening week in and week out. I, sustainable, I disagree. I think we we there are so many things that you and I have said in the past. That's just not a sustainable model that have worked out. I believe in the long term it is. But again, long term. Anyway, let's let's close out this show. We got after show to get to. We're already running long tonight. God, we're not even starting the after show till almost midnight. OMG. It's it's an old RDB school says box. it's uh it's after show is what is how did you word that? It looks miles away. It is. <laughs> it's no longer. Now it's in uh yeah, I'm about I'm about to uh, pull up next to you and flip you the bird and as we roll in from the regular show to the end. We got a show. Patreon giveaway in. We have Patreon giveaways. In fact, double. We're doubling them up tonight. So, uh thank you everyone for joining us. I I don't know why you're here, but you are. So, we appreciate each and every one of you. So many kind and gracious people out there this weekend that of course uh for some reason, I don't want to say of course, for some reason uh said you tune in, said you listen and thank you. <laughs> I we don't know why. <laughs> I appreciate all of you who do as much uh, in, in seeing me in person and saying the kind things that you say. You say we're your favorite podcast, and even if you're lying to me, I'll we'll take it anyway. We appreciate it. Uh, for Adam Hammes, our champion, congrats, of course, yet again to Kristen Tatar, the champion on the FBO side, and really the uh, just the incredible DGPT-based staff and crew over there at the <laughs> Portland Open this weekend. Uh, it was one hell of an event. A lot of things happened. We didn't even talk about the extras that were there in terms of the extra streaming and everything that went along with being an Elite Series Plus event. Uh, insane payout, all of that, which no one's complaining about. So thank you to everyone over at the DGPT and uh, DGN for all of that experience. For Johnny V, I'm Terry Miller, the Disc Golf Guy. That's been Smashbox Podcast 458. We'll have an after show with some extra goodies. We'll see you then when you step inside the Smashbox. Thank you to our $2 and above patrons. Your name is listed below in the credits.
If you are interested in being listed as a producer in the Smashbox TV credits and supporting this and other fine podcasts, please visit patreon.com slash smashbox TV. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.